Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 7, entitled The Broken Man. Uh, I don't know if you want to play the name game right up front, but there are several broken men in this show. Mm. Uh, you know, the Hound being a major one. Sure. He's kind of one of the big uh, momentous things that happens in this episode is the Return of the Hound. Yeah. Still not completely unbroken. He's got a bit of a limp. Yeah. Might have lost a yeah. half step. He was he was pretty close to broken. He's about as broken as you can get before you die. Yeah, <laughs> so pretty he's just, broken. He's just a big fucker and he's tough to kill. What do you? Yeah, what do you expect? He is. Uh, you know, Jamie's a broken man. He's got one hand. Uh. Braun points that out, and of course, Theon. Theon mm. maybe maybe the opposite extreme of the Hound. The Hound was physically broken. Theon is mentally and physically broken. Let's go say he's <laughs> he's all of the above. Uh-huh. Uh, it's unfortunate, but. Who knows? And maybe, maybe also the Starks as a house. Mm. I don't know. The broken man of of Sean Bean. Yeah, maybe he counts. A lot of Northerners of the opinion that the Starks are done for. They're down and out. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, I don't know. I I like this episode a lot. I think it was good. Uh, I do too. I do too. I mean, we. I felt like uh, we had a nice, fun, instant take. Uh, the the <laughs> one thing I was kind of well, I'm not surprised because there was so much other awesome stuff to talk about. But we didn't really talk about Theon. No, we didn't. And his sister, which is what the full cast is for. So we'll get there mm-hmm. in good time. Uh, pressing news: It looks like everyone's letting me uh, off the hook. They agree with our analysis of. Um, I don't know if you care to play that sound clip again for the people that are not spoiler podcast listeners. No, nope. basically you made a bet. That said, if, if uh, and Stark shows up, but I qualified it before the end of season five, mm-hmm. and that was the key thing. Yeah. Um, now, probably in spirit, if someone asked me that day, I would have doubled down and been like, "Ever," but I didn't. Right. So, uh, and it looks like the vast majority of the listeners. I, I don't think anyone said I should do it. There was a couple of joking, like you should uh, just write "di." Mm-hmm. Uh, since you were kind of like you had to respect the spirit, but not the letter, yeah. letter, letter of the of the dick. Um, but no, that's that's not going to happen. I hope uh, I hope people didn't sign up just to see me put red lipstick on my forehead. Uh, if so, keep watching lunches. We'll we'll do something ridiculous before too long. Probably, yeah. Uh, okay. What else do we want to talk? Oh, do we want to talk about the other little uh, grave digger thing we got going on? Uh, sure. I guess so. This is an appropriate time. I mean, we're about ready to get right into it, but, uh, so this season we talked about it being the death of mildly interesting, which is the catchphrase I used to use when Jim was unsullied to essentially say, I can't say, give any more information. Unsullied meaning I didn't have spoilers. There's a lot of terminology we throw around. I think people can, can get, can get that though, right? You, you, Maybe, maybe all right. Not. You're trying to save me email. I get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to show that you you weren't spoiled, and it's something I used to say to try to as a neutral response to like, well, I can't really theorize. Um, and for people who don't listen to the spoiler cast, I've since joined you on the spoiler cast sure. because we are, for the most part, beyond the books. Sure. Uh, so we we uh, had our buddy Eric whip us up a, a t-shirt that kind of commemorates the death of uh, mildly interesting. Uh, and he came up with a really nice design that has Sandor Clegane with a shovel burying it with a tombstone, burying you know the dates it was active and all that. And it's pretty, it's pretty uh, attractive T-shirt with, uh, the, with the epitaph "Spoiler Morghulis," yes, which I particularly like. All spoilers must die. But but yep. uh, so so we had we've been marketing this on the spoiler podcast, and now that the uh, the the hound is out of the grave. Uh, we can offer it to everybody. So if you've been wanting some Bald Move merch, you can go to our shop at baldmove.com slash shop and check it out. It's now available for everybody. But we hit it. We hit it behind a custom URL because we didn't want to spoil anybody. That's how much we care. Yeah. 
now it uh you can go to gravedigger.baldmove.com to get it or you can just go to the store it'll be on there yeah uh, very soon. Uh, and then finally, on a personal note, I uh, had literally hundreds of people sending positive vibes and energy for my father's surgery mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow. And I just want to say how much that meant to me. And you can tell it means a lot because I'm stilted and awkward talking about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's, just, that's, but yeah. It, it's too real. It too did. Real. It did. Yeah. It's too real. But uh, it, I was touched. Mm-hmm. I was touched. I was very nice of, of all of you. So thank you. All right, recap time. Recap time. We start off with what is a rather cheery scene in the world of Game of Thrones, like a surprisingly, uh, just it almost doesn't even feel like Game of Thrones type scene, where the guy from Deadwood is overseeing the construction of a building. There are people, yeah, d- practically singing and dancing and and just having a great time. Ian McShane is kind of Ian McShaning, a little bit more of a positive spin on his, uh, but still recognizably an Ian McShane performance. Right, I mean the hound's out there chopping wood, and we—he's revealed as the hound, yeah. uh, kind of at the end of this, going right into the intro, which actually has River on it now, which mm-hmm. was kind of cool to see. I, uh, I thought so too, uh, but yeah, I—I I thought the reveal was great. Just the fact that you established all these guys groaning under this timber, and it's taken four men, and then mm-hmm. the hound comes up, and he's just one hand in it, even with a, he a goes commando. He's full. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> Arnold and. The physicality of uh, is it Rory? I forget this uh, guy's name th- that plays the Hound. But uh, the physicality of his performance because he is in real life a big fucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when because uh, I was just like vis- uh, audibly saying like, man, look at this guy chopping wood. Like he is really going at it. And then Ian McShane's like, I've never seen a man swing an axe like that. It, <laughs> I, it, it's cool. It's cool. Like. I mean, the Hound is just force of nature, and it's going to be fun to see him unleashed. Yeah, I mean, it sucks I for him so. personally because I don't care. He's a fictional character. <laughs> I want to see him be badass. That's what he does. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a there's a very small part of me that when I read the books and I saw that he is with these uh, you know the, these brothers and sisters in the show, that and he had gotten a measure of peace. I'm like, huh? That's if that's how it ends, it wouldn't be a bad coda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, Clegane Bowl. So <laughs> right, you know, and, and you can't you can't let anybody have a happy ending in Game of Thrones. Yeah, come yeah. on. Yeah, uh, that doesn't seem to be the the arc of the story. Not at all. Uh, I also like the fact that uh, the guys kind of teasing him unwittingly, saying it must have been a monster that took you down. Mm-hmm. Nope, it was a woman. And did did you think the Hound played that as like an an additional annoyance? Or just the fact that he doesn't like this guy digging into his past, or oh, I think it was both. Yeah. I, I think he, you know, he's a private person, and also, you know, he probably doesn't like getting bested by a woman. Uh, so anyway, this guy from Deadwood feeds his fly. I didn't bother to know to learn his name because he's dead by the Septon end of the episode. Septon Maribald. I'll, I'll help you out. Though. Okay, uh, Baldy Maribald. Uh, <laughs> Baldy McMaribald. Yeah, <laughs> he feeds his flock. And he kind of talks with the hound for a bit about how he survived and what he's meant to do. And we learn, you know, kind of kind of how the hound survived. They found him out there. He was basically dead. Uh, he coughed, scared the shit out of this guy. I was, oh, I nearly shit myself. That's so <laughs> right. good. And then they brought him in and, and over the course of a while nursed him back to health. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like he was going to die several more times. It's funny because Ian McShane posted what could be conceived of as a spoiler in an interview before the season once he said mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm my job is to bring a somewhat beloved character back to life 
people gave him a bunch of shit for it, and he kind of soured, and he started getting surly with the fans. Like, it's tits and dragons, man. Grow up. And number one, that's Ian, classic Ian McShane. McShane. Two, I think that this is like a one episode and done. Yeah. Like, whereas I think people thought that this was going to be, like, he was going to be an ongoing character for at least the rest of the season. But, like, it... And now knowing everything about how this went down, I think it's super funny his reaction. Like, right, you know that that I don't think he's ever worked on anything this big before. Like Deadwood was never this big. No, of course not. Yes, you know, Game of Thrones didn't get canceled in in the, the middle of it. So like, yeah. I, I he just had no idea, and he's a cranky old dude, and he doesn't give a shit. And this is I just did I did, I did one episode. I wore a robe with a fucking seven pointed star. What do you want from yeah. me, fanboys? And, and you girls? get this information within the first. 15 seconds of the the episode i think it'd be rough i mean you i don't know like i'm not a spoiler phobe like it's kind of a bummer if you get spoiled right before you're about to watch something but i don't think it's the big it, it really spoilers only ruin things if you got mediocre works like if if okay and and, and there's also there's there's obviously like super twists like Six cents. Sure. Nobody wants to get spoiled for stuff like that. But for the most part, I'm I kind of roll with it. But I know some people are like super adverse to spoilers and it really ruins their day. So I'm sure if you're just reading an entertainment weekly and you're kind of familiar with the show and he says that, uh, how many people are dead that I mean, maybe you thought he was talking about John and that spoil. I mean, who knows? Right. Who the hell knows? But uh, I thought it was super thought. funny. Uh, well, we find out that he's basically a deist. We don't, he doesn't really like attribute a specific god to all of these things that are yeah. happening um to to you know this this overarching kind of thing that he feels is out there right uh definitely more of a deist than a strict adherent to any religion mm-hmm. or any particular god uh, and he talks about you know what the hound is meant to do what sandor clegane is meant to do and he's trying to say you don't, you know, what he says later on to his flock, which when he tells the story about how he was a terrible guy and he came back from it and mm-hmm. now he's just trying to do some good, uh, he's trying to instill those ideas in the Hound. And I think throughout the course of this episode, it seems to be working. Yeah. Uh, it's at least getting him thinking, and he's not a thinking man for the most part. <laughs> yeah, like he's a lot more thoughtful. Like, even this, yeah. he's like, well, if you're right, why haven't the gods punished him, punished me? And the Septon said, uh, they have right, and like the Look house started doing the math on that. And like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. How uh, how much more can they punish you without actually killing you? Sure, I mean you could you could follow that train of thought back to like, what did I do as a young boy that the gods wanted to push my face on the brazier for? Right. Um, but sure, you can tell that the 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 gears have started grinding in there, and he's like, hey, this guy's got a point. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's not too late for me to be good. It turns out. Uh, this and, and, and a spoiler for his life that yes, it is. Yeah. It is too late. <laughs> you're not destined. You're not destined for a life of peace and harmony. Definitely not. Uh, so we move over to the High Septon telling Marjorie basically that she needs to get pregnant to further their work. Yep. And says that she also needs to teach Elena the new way, or she's going to be in trouble. Now, I thought there was some really interesting stuff on multiple watches of this. Um. The fact that he's urging her to return to her teenage son's marriage bed, that's an interesting... Because I don't know exactly what she's trying to do here, but there's a lot of interesting possibilities. Like, uh, it could yeah. be that she is, by being pious, that she's turning the, her king against the faith because 
now that she's down with the mother and the she's not DTF. Uh, yeah, now she's down with the mother, the crone, <laughs> and the maiden. She's she's not DTF. Uh, huh. And also, I thought it was interesting that after he told her that she needs to start boning her husband and also subtly threatened her grandmother, mm-hmm. he put his hand right on her thigh. Mm-hmm. Which she, you know, kind of noticed. Mm-hmm. Do we think that his light bringer is becoming inflamed? What is is there? Jesus. You know, are, are we going to find out that he is like as corrupt and venal as we kind of in our dark hearts suspect him of being? Oh, I think he's corrupt. I don't know that he's like a a sexual predator. Why the hand you know? on the thigh? I mean, and, and her reaction to that's universal sign for creep. Well... Unwanted bad touch. Yes, but this is a handsy guy. Like, this is this is one of those touchy-feely kind of guys. Like, I don't know if... Going if, with the Jerry Sandusky defense, that's what we're going with? He's, he's just a handsy guy, no, you, you know? You might brush it, his hand against your thigh. It's, that's just you've him. seen it in other episodes. And, and yeah, yeah, sure. Like, like, this is a pattern for him. I don't... And it's not particularly applied to women. It's not applied to anyone in particular. It seems to just be how he is. I don't know. It's certainly, like... In today's modern society, it's inappropriate, right? Like, that's not well, how you want to be touching someone, like, regardless of how sure, sure. you feel about and it. And whatever, modern day, old times. I'm just saying sure. that the way it was filmed and presented seems mm-hmm. to be we should take notice of it. I think so. And and it's also uh, Deadwood Guy. is uh-huh. it, He touches Sandor at one point, and Sandor kind of recoils a little bit. Obviously, uh, Sandor just doesn't, doesn't like, like being sure, touched sure. As, as a human being. But right. uh, I wonder if there's any kind of parallel there. Between these two men of the faith getting a little handsy. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is Marjorie's plan. Like okay. what it could be. Because later on in this next scene, she goes and talks with her grandmother. And she puts on this big show of being godly in front of Olna or whatever her name is. But Ooh, she Nella. tells uh, Elena to go home and gives her this sketch of a rose to let her know that she's got a plan. Uh, whatever her plan is. Now, here's the question. Is... Is she creating this plan whole cloth, or is she kind of adapting and using uh, the High Septon's plan against him? Because, like, she she went out, apparently, and brought Tommen to him, right? And really, like, secured that piece of the puzzle for the High Septon. And I think she's she's obviously got a plan here. I don't think she gives that rose to her grandmother and says, leave. I think her whatever her plan is might cause serious trouble in King's Landing. Yes, we've got some pretty interesting Because she theories. wants her out of there. And I don't know if it's just to, you know, because she's worried that the High Septon's going to get a hold of her. Yeah, no, there, her there could proximity. be big, the, whatever she's doing might be big trouble for King's Landing, and she wants her grandma yeah. safe and out. Maybe it's a, it ends up being the death of her. It could uh, be. But no, I we got a couple of cool theories in the feedback section that we can get to, but I just feel like that... Um, what... Okay. That it's, it's too the, the small folk lover. It's too late to change. Okay, that's the that's the crux of it. I want to develop that a little bit more because I feel like that that's a a big part of what's going on here is that maybe things are going to go bad for King's Landing, but it might go bad for King's Landing because Marjorie is trying to wrest control of the people away from the High Septon, and there's going to be yeah. a lot of bloodshed. But it's going yeah, to be one of those I'm things wondering. like a like a French Revolution style where. If you're wearing a fine dress or mm-hmm. you're wearing a seven-sided, like, it's like she's just going to lead this populist revolt. It's kind and, of what and, it feels like, yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, I got from Septa Unella, 
uh, who is the the uh, the the faith of the seven nun that I'm quite taken with now, and the high septon. They both kind of realize her performance is just that, hmm. or they suspect it, but they don't have any tool with which to like you know they're trying to catch her in some kind of trip up, and they won't let her. You know, she's free to go, but she's not going, and she's, mm-hmm. like, having... She's got no privacy, and she doesn't mind, and she's not having sex with her. Like, they, they, they get all this as fishy, but what do you do? And at this point, like I mentioned in the podcast, I think it's already too late. If you suspect treachery, you've got to either let her hang herself, because if you preemptively do something to her, the people are going to go fucking nuts. Yeah. They already Seems love like Marjorie, the fake version of Marjorie that they got in previous seasons where she's going around feeding them, doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and now she turned the tide with her husband, the king, and they're wedded to the faith. And, like, I, I feel like the High Septon is in a pickle. Yeah, and I wonder if he even realizes it yet. I, I think he sees the danger, but he doesn't quite have all the angles figured out. And, and again, maybe he thinks he can navigate it. And that goes more to the point that I think that him and Marjorie are essentially doing the Littlefinger plan, where maybe they don't even have... Because someone pointed out in a feedback um, last week that I don't think made the cut because there's so much of it. But someone pointed out that it's very unlikely the High Septon tried to engineer his rise to power. Because until Cersei came and elevated him to his position, he was just a barefoot beggar priest running a soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lousy plan if you want to be the most powerful person in King's Landing. Sure. Now, you know, once he got into power, power corrupts. Like, maybe he he there is a, a dark side to him that's come back out. Maybe this is, the, this is too much temptation for him to bear, especially with Marjorie living with him now. But I thought that was interesting, that if I'm betting on someone pulling a little finger game off, that's essentially been what Marjorie's doing. Like, she is adept at being ev- all things to every person. Whereas yeah. the High Septon's got the one thing that he can do. Anything, right. he, he swerves out of that lane and he's fucked. He loses all of his power. Um, I think it, that's interesting. That's, that if I'm, if I'm going to bet on someone playing the, 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 the rungs of Chaos, the Ladder of Chaos game, I'm going to bet on Marjorie. Yeah. Big. And you, you think back to the High Septon telling her this story about, um, or, or was, it, was it Tommen that he told the story about him being a cobbler too? I forget. Uh, it was one of them. But you can see, like, how much he said, oh, this was all fake. And, and he even gets caught in his own story, like, telling falsehoods. Sure. Um, and and Marjorie in this episode is like, oh, well, when I was uh, going to see the beggars and feeding them and clothing them, I was doing it out of self-interest. Mm-hmm. I was faking mm-hmm. this sort of concern for them. Whereas yeah. now, what does he think she's doing? Faking her religious conversion here right i mean it should be obvious to him that she's capable of this no and and that's the yeah but she's also doing that trick where she's assassinating her former character to build credence with the one she's building now but again what's the high step you're gonna do what's he gonna do yeah the other thing she's doing that i think is really smart is she is and i think this is part of her plan she cooked this up while she was in the dungeons Mm -hmm. uh i think she's purposely trying to alienate everyone from cersei I think her. I think it was her that kind of convinced Tommen to get him sure. out, of, get Jamie oh, yeah. out of the Kingsguard, and send him away. Yeah, uh, you know, everyone that Cersei has around her is now crumbling, and I think some of that is due to Marjorie. Sure, I think she's playing both sides of this. Yeah, no, totally. Because it it could have been Marjorie's plan to be like, hey, you know, you need to get your uncle. Like we suspected. 
Uncle Kevin uh, yeah. getting involved with that, but it could have very well been Marjorie saying, you know, uh, I, I love your family so much. It would be a terrible shame if they got, you know, he defied the blah, blah, blah. You can see how it goes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm just so worried about your uncle. I can't possibly go to bed with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of deft political maneuvering when it comes to Tommen. No, it doesn't really need to be. Uh, did we get to the scene where she gives her mother, her grandmother the note? Yeah. I thought it was interesting as I was watching that. I remember a scene um, where Lady Olena is talking to, I think, Tyrion, and they're talking about the Tyrells and how like their house sigil is a flower, and their words are growing strong, and how it's such a pale shadow of like winter is coming, or hear me roar, or we right. do not sow, and those are such strong. But I thought it was interesting how this might be one of the most, this, this flower... And the implication still growing strong that that might be, in a certain way, one of the most badass sigils and words of Westeros right now. Yeah, because it has a certain uh, a certain type of falsehood to it, right? Like like you see the flowery, beautiful part sure. of it, but what's underneath it? It's the, the thorns, thorns yeah. right? Uh, I thought that was nice, a little callback to, like, if you're remembering Lady Olenna fretting about her house appearing weak and they're actually strong, whereas the Starks... And Lannisters have been essentially getting their ass kicked up and down Westeros, uh, more or less, th- mm-hmm. throughout the various seasons. Uh, and the Greyjoys, you want to throw them in, too. All the ones she cited as canonical examples of fearsome words yeah. are getting are getting beat. And the unassuming Rose is drawing blood with her thorns. I, I, it's pretty good. Pretty good. And they don't even... Yeah. It's very subtle. You can miss it. and not. It's not required to enjoy it, but I really like what they did there. And speaking of subtlety, I think... You know, rather than writing out the words, hey, grandma, I got a plan, yo, I'm faking it all on the paper, she just draws a rose. Sure. Says everything she needs to say with that. Yep. Uh, and Elena's smart enough to get it. So I, I really love her. She's I, amazing. I, I, w- I would have liked it more if Olena had gotten, like, really cold with Marjorie there because I felt like as soon as she passed the note, uh-huh. there was such a change in her demeanor. And I thought the Septa Unella... But then again, what is she going to do? Try to snatch the note that she didn't see pass out of her hand? Like, Anella yeah. knew something happened, but didn't know what. Right. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I'm paying too much attention to her, because, again, I'm, I'm quite taken with her. By the way, someone someone emailed me that the actress that, sh- that plays her, Hannah Waddington, Waddingham, mm-hmm. uh, is 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 uh, kind of a looker. Really? I was okay. I was not steered steered wrong. Impossible to tell instincts. in this show. Well, do you know, I had a, I had a sense, a sense. <laughs> okay. So, um, but no, nah, I think uh, she's given a hell of a performance, uh, and I, I liked all that. But I, I would have liked it if she had been maintained the facade, you know, essentially. And now, I don't know, the double Ds are probably like, ah, if we do that, are people going to get it? Because already a surprising amount of people are confused about what the meaning of the rose is, which I think it's kind of like plain, plain reading. Um, right. Trust me. That's what it means. But I also like how I think Marjorie, even though she's doing this like kind of hammy performance within the performance, mm-hmm. she had a really strong moment where after she passed the the note to her grandmother and she left um, right before she turned to the Septa and said, shall we pray? Mm-hmm. It She visibly like had to get control of herself because that was a very painful thing. Yeah. You know, to just essentially let go of the lifeline. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it 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 was uh it was she was very emotional and she she mastered it and I thought that was a nice nice performance yeah it was good by Natalie uh, so we go over to John who is having a little bit of trouble convincing the wildlings to attack Winterfell with him 
And Tormund ends up convincing them by saying, John died for us, and if we're not cowards, we should do the same. Uh, and also, you know, the giant helps a little. Yep. The giant <laughs> stands up and says, Snow. He's got instincts here, uh, and they respect him. I, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like um, the way you read that is, seems like you're skeptical, but I thought the scene was great because. Oh, yeah, everything, but, like, I, I don't know why the giant stands up and says snow. I mean, clearly he's giving his support. Sure. But, like, I, it was a little a little funny to me. <laughs> uh, I, I liked it. I thought um, so many shows struggle with this. Um, having characters wrestle with genuine dilemmas where there are no good options and they tend to either just belabor the point or... Um, make one character the straw man and the mm. other one just beats the shit out of them. And I thought both sides had great points, but ultimately the decision they arrived at made sense knowing what we know about the wildlings and their culture and the way they view things and their sense of tribalism and the fact that they kind of identified John as one of their own, which is something that they've laid back all the way back with Egret. Um, yeah. Egret. I, I thought that, I, I thought it was great. It is one of the many really awesome scenes between people um and and, and even john like i acknowledge this is a raw deal this sucks for you guys this isn't what i wanted this isn't what you wanted and this is not something that you got into with your eyes open but the boltons don't give a shit right so if you want to survive and the fact that these wildlings like they've got this pride and there's you know hundreds of generations and dozens of tribes, and they could all be snuffed out like they didn't even exist. You can tell what a, mm-hmm. what an offense that would be. Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I do too, and it, especially when paired with these other scenes, you can see that John has the right idea. He's just unable to convince anyone or really express it well. And people people at his side, whom he needs, uh, come to his aid every yeah. time. I mean, Torment here is coming to his aid. He wouldn't have been able to convince these guys without Tormund saying, look, he died for us. We need to do the same. Well, I think it's interesting if you think back at John and how his father, Ned, uh, I think he's a lot alike Ned. And that Ned, um, you know, he was the second son and he was thrust into this position of power. But by the time we see Ned in season one of Game of Thrones, he is the Lord. Yeah. But from the time his father and his, his brother died... Every noble in the north turned to him and bent the knee and supported him and, and was fully behind him in whatever he did. So he was able mm-hmm. to grow into that uh, role of the Lord naturally. Whereas John has been the bastard who's kind of been despised and gave up his you know gave up all his rights, what meager ones they had to go through the wall. Where he was seen as this outsider and you know has gotten his balls busted for day one mm-hmm. and is picked on. Like he has not had any of those advantages. So it's like I think it's interesting to see like what would Ned do in this situation. I think it's a lot like what John is struggling with. Yeah. Um. And you know none of the like very few of the Northern Lords want to throw their weight behind them, and for good reason. That's the other brilliant thing about. I didn't think the Northern Lords, the ones refusing John, were assholes. No. Like, I, I thought what they said made a lot of sense, mm-hmm. um, which we'll probably get to later. But I, it's, it's very tricky to play that, to, to have discussions and disagreements with characters and not make one of them seem stupid. And yeah. Game of Thrones, I think, is nailing it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we go over to Cersei talking to Elena, and she tries to convince her not to leave the city and to help her instead because they both have children who need help uh, or, you know, grandchildren in this case. But Elena doesn't go for it. Instead, calling Cersei stupid and truly vile. <laughs> She's also really happy that Cersei's lost, which I can't falter. 
Uh, this She's is, telling it like it is. It's amazing. This is devastating to the point that I was nervous that Cersei was going to fucking lose it and just sick Gregor on him. Yeah. Like, because the mountain is looming behind her this entire conversation. Uh-huh. And Lady Olena doesn't give a fuck. Nope. That's what like, I love about I wonder her. if you're the worst person I've ever met. That was such... It's hard to tell because, you know, memory fades, but you remember the truly vile. Well, and the things like, I remember the uh, way you smirked at me when my grandson and daughter were dragged off to the cells. So great. Yeah. And Cersei tries to play the, look, I know you love your granddaughter, and we can trust in that mutual love, and she's having none of it. No. You know, uh, you've you've lost, and that's the thing, like, you have nothing. Your brother right. with his army is gone. Your son's not listening to you. The people hate you. The rest mm-hmm. of your family has turned their back on you. All you have is this fucking zombie. Yep. And if you want it to crack my skull, I guess. But you're still lost. It's not going to change the fact that you've lost. Right. Has Cersei lost? What has she got I, up her I, sleeves? I think she has. Um, I mean, is, the only chance she has at this point is to convince Tommen is this that, the, that, that she is right about these things. I mean, is this the season that she goes down? It could be. Like, it's so funny because we've been talking about how, you know, it's this is Game of Thrones and truly memorable characters could die, which is why my blood pressure spiked when Arya gets stabbed in, in, in the end there. Uh-huh. Uh, but it we're, get, we're just, there's two seasons left, and they're half seasoned at that. The people, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people dying before this is over. Yeah. And it feels like maybe Cersei's coming to the end of her rope. I could see her within three episodes being dead. I mean, sure. if you get a trial by combat here within the next... Two episodes. If it goes badly for her, or even if it goes, goes well, if it goes badly yeah. for her, she's dead. If it goes well for her, what are the people going to think? Yeah, I. I mean, I are they going to accept that as justice, or are they going to be like, "This is bullshit"? I, I don't know. I mean, even if she wins the trial by combat and the people are okay with it, she's still got to deal with Marjorie. And she still doesn't have her army. She doesn't have right. Jamie. She still doesn't, she doesn't have doesn't her son have potentially. No. Yeah, it's it's bad for her all around. I mean, I agree with Elena. She has lost. Yeah, and, and Cersei's super pissed. Like, I, I thought um, Lena did a good job of playing that clenched jaw, just kind of furious, cold anger, but I don't mm-hmm. see her play. I don't see yep. her play. I mean, even if she does somehow wrest control back from the yeah. High Septon and Marjorie and all yeah. that, she certainly is at a low point. Maybe she's not down and out, but she's yeah. certainly down right now, as sure. far as she's ever been. Sure. So we go back, uh, actually, we go over to Jamie marching his troops to River Run. And we get a pretty epic scene of him marching a lot of troops, 8,000 of them. By the way, I went and looked at that scene that I talked about in the instant cast where uh, Tywin's butchering that deer. And yeah. Jamie is wearing essentially the same armor. Oh, he is? The okay. difference is he was wearing long-haired Jamie. Right. Flock of Seagulls Jamie, right. which is not as good as short, short-haired Caesar-cut Jamie, in my opinion. So maybe, And also, he's kind of dark. And his father was just brutally busting his balls the entire scene. He wasn't nearly as bad. It wasn't as majestic. So, right. like, I do feel like I'm seeing Jamie for the first time in this armor, even though I didn't. So, you know what's not majestic? What's not the siege that the phrase have oh, set up? Oh God, it's pitiful. And Bron points it out. Uh, Everything about them is pitiful. They're wearing, yeah. they're wearing like. What do you call those uh, to, like toboggan hats? They're wearing toboggan I, hats and, I call and them the sacks things, of potatoes on their the, body. Right, the things that the peasants in Monty Python Holy yes. Grail are wearing. Yes, as and they they're flap just around as shit the covered. They're yeah. just as shit covered. Right, like you should have known. You should have stood down to Jamie Lannister when he rode up and he wasn't covered in shit. Frey, yeah. like mm-hmm. all <laughs> you, you could have saved yourself the taste of gold in your mouth mm-hmm. had you just immediately yielded to the guy that had less shit on him. So Jamie and Bronn are looking on as the phrase try to 
threaten Ed Muir in order to get the Blackfish to surrender. He doesn't budge. So Jamie rolls up and strong arms these guys and takes command of the siege. Strong backhands these guys. Yeah. Uh, Lays the 24 carat pimp hand down on yeah. the mouthier of the two frays. The one, the, the, the dumber. There's two, there's there's one fray I automatically think is smarter because he's the one that kind of like, no, seriously, you don't want any part of this. Yeah. And the dumber one said, no, no, I do. So When the guy with the metal hand starts <laughs> talking about slapping people, yeah. I back up. Yeah, sure. I, I step out of range a bit. And even if you wanted to fight him, he's got 8,000 men that yeah. have, like, real armor. They're not wearing essentially crusted shit, and that's your only resistance to blunt force trauma. He's got, like, real awesome-looking armor and 8,000 guys yeah. with the same behind him. Like, ah, the And phrase. the experience to actually fight a battle here. I mean, he knows what's up. And, yep. and he's using broad... So, okay. <sighs> really easy slit in the throat Braun. of a pregnant woman and, uh, you know, a concerned mother and a bunch of drunken lords who've been disarmed. Mm-hmm. Not so hard when you're dealing with the likes of Jamie and the Blackfish. Or not so easy, <laughs> Not I so say. easy, yeah. Uh, when does Braun wise up to Jamie's false promises here? I don't, because that's the thing. I think I thought it was interesting when he says a Lannister always pays. Don't fucking say it. I thought that was interesting because he's like... This I've essentially played this game with the Lannisters, and I parlayed myself to where I am now. And now he's offering to make me second in command of his arm. I, I kind of think that his ambition is such that he can't... Like, like he understands the legitimacy of the offer and how this could go well for him, but it's like, you know, he's a slave to his own ambition. Yeah. He maybe should have ca- cashed out with uh, Lawless back at the castle, the Stokeworth castle... It feels uh, like it. Season. I mean, that the promise that got him to go to Dorne has gone unfulfilled as of yet, right? Well, they, I think Jamie just keeps doubling down on it. Right. That's like the same as unfulfilled. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, your, hey, you, uh, your castle, uh, is, <laughs> the castle walls just got 10 foot taller. Right. Uh, and the girl's even more. She was a Vegas 8. <laughs> now she's a Bravosi 10. Oh. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think he keeps on sweetening the pot. And it's it vexing the brawn because he can't say no. Right. He wants, he wants more. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I hope it doesn't end badly for Braun. I, I like hope Braun. so too. You know, he's a sellsword and a cutthroat guy, but I like him. Braun's the perfect anti-hero. Yeah. Uh and and he is like I he added so much. Again, uh I noticed in the threads there's a lot of book fans that were unhappy with especially maybe how things went with um the hound and like it maybe wasn't as arty as it was in the books. But I feel like anything that the show lacks as far as eloquence between the Blackfish and Jamie, it made up for in the presence of Braun riding up there to punctuate Jamie's statements with, yeah, if uh, we'd, have been, if we'd have been hostile, we'd have come and fucked you in the ass. It's, it's good stuff. What do you mean lacking in eloquence with Jamie and the Blackfish? I, I didn't go back and reread the scenes because if I was going to play, like, you know, if I was going to do a compare and oh, contrast, okay. I would have done like Septon Maribold talking about the Hound from the books. But I didn't go back and read these passages. I remember them and how kind of epic it was him confronting the incompetent phrase and then, you know, the very competent Blackfish. And that's a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff is drawn from the books. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a little bit not as awesome and if there wasn't so much banter but you add brawn and you add the physical set and i thought it really really worked it didn't yeah it, i don't think it was you know poor second cousin to the books at all but a lot of people disagreed with me right and obviously i haven't read the books but 
I, I do agree with you that the visuals, like seeing this stuff, the river run is, is incredible, extraordinary. It's impressive. Yeah, um, on a scale that you don't see in television. I mean, that's the what's so awesome about the like the Blu-rays for Game of Thrones is all the behind-the-scenes details, and I'm mm. I'm like already licking my chops to see like yeah. the construction story and like something because I know they're going to point out all the different fucking things they did to make it awesome. And sure, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be righteous. Uh, let's go back to John. He's trying to convince the child ruler, Lady Mormont of Bear Island, to support him with troops. Uh, both he and Sansa fail miserably, but luckily Davos is there to save the day. Unfortunately, we find out that House Mormont, even though they're pledging all their fighting men, only has 62 of them. They're as strong as 10 mainlanders, though. So it's John's like, fuck you, I've got a giant. He's legit stronger than 10 men. That's like, true. I, let, yeah. Okay, uh, one, one, come in here. Uh, who's your best dude? Let's arm wrestle. Right. Oh, your arm got snapped off. I guess you're not as strong as Tin Min then, huh? <laughs> uh, what did you think about my theory about why didn't he lead with Longclaw? And I did misspoke, misspeak, because yes. obviously Longclaw does not have a wolf head. It's supposed to be an ivory bear. But the whole reason... that's So that's not true in the books. I read, I was reading around on Reddit that uh-huh. when when Gior gave him the sword, or, uh-huh. or when the thing got burnt down, the hilt and the, the bottom part of it, whatever that that thing the end cap is oh is that the hilt true? got melted yeah and so Shit, Gior, you Gior me, Jim. found good, it good good job to you reddit did uh Gior found the sword and was like well this is fucked and the handle was kind of busted up so they recast it with uh the lion head on it or not the lion uh, the, head, the, the, the wolf head, head on okay it. i thought it was just a, uh, an ivory bear that looked enough like a wolf that it works good because he's got ghosts no, so if you actually remake, it. okay, so I don't know. How, I forget how it went down in the the show because okay. I was, you know, seasons one through three. I was a casual. casual That's the kind of thing I would have lo- gone back and researched if I had another day. But right. I'm yeah. we're in shotgun mode here, so so uh, I, okay, cool. I, I don't know, like if he whips that out with the wolf head on it, do they even that's the know thing. it? Yeah, that's where that my theory kind of falls apart. And some people right. are like, well, maybe they would have wanted it back, and I'm like, I don't know because I feel like the Mormons are the kind of people that if well. If our forebear, if our father gave, or you know, uncle in this case gave you the sword, then you should keep the sword. What and then John's can't... the kind of guy that, like, you know, Ned, he, you know, Ned had had Dawn in his hands, one of the most badass swords in the Seven Kingdoms. He returned it to the Danes. Like, I feel like if they asked him it, him for it, John would have given it back to him. Although maybe he'd say, "Look, I I have more need of it for now. Uh-huh. We got White Walkers to fight after the war. Assuming we all live, I'll give it back then." What if he know. came back like offering it as a gift, and and they saw his generosity and decided to help him, but let him keep it because Georg gave it to him? Yeah, I mean we're we're arguing like a com- right. alt reality moot point, but I I do yeah. wish they'd acknowledge the fact. I mean they talked about all this history, and I'm like, you've got the blade, right. you're wearing the blade. What yeah, about the blade? Never mentioned. Maybe they yeah. frisked him and took it at the door. He was like, well, <laughs> shit, I was going to use that. Never mind. Yeah. And ultimately, the point is the up-jumped Onion Knight has a lot more in common with this little girl pressed into service. Although, and John obviously could have made that same speech because he didn't want any of this stuff either. He could have made that same speech, but he, but didn't, he didn't know he enough didn't read to do room, it. And yeah. that's the thing that Davos is good at, I think, is is picking up on how people want to be talked to. He knows people. He's a smuggler. He's a haggler. He's right. lived by his wits. Absolutely. Even John has never, I would say, lived by his wits. No. He's, he's gotten lived by and on died by honor. his honor. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what did you think about this this young girl playing Lady Mormon here? 
I thought she was fine, and we've got feedback where people are kind of like loved her or hated her. I just think, and it's, I, some people accused me, and not accused me, but suggested that it was because it was she was a little girl. And I don't agree because I remember like the kid, uh, do you remember um, Tropic Thunder? Like the whole Vietnamese um, heroin ring right. is led by this little kid. And I thought that was dumb too. Sure. Like he, like he's a fine, giving a fine performance, but I just don't buy this foul-mouthed nine-year-old is having all these rough-and-tumble drug dealers serving him. I, right. I just feel like sometimes, like, it kind of worked for Bran when he was playing the Lord of Winterfell because his yeah. maester was speaking more for him, and I think they suggested that a little bit by, by having the girl confer with her maester. But she was doing most of the talking, and again, you know, she's from a long line of warriors and warrior women, and like um, uh, in the book, there's a wonderful detail of like what's carved on the house of their the door of their keep is a woman who's got like a battle axe in one hand, and she's standing on a dead bear with her foot, and she's nursing a child. Like that's kind of like they're proud of their warrior women women culture. Uh-huh. And there's more of that good stuff in the books. And that works. Like, you believe, like, when you get this letter from a, t- a, a nine-year-old uh, Leanna Mormont saying that we recognize no king but Rob, king of the north, like, that works. And it just didn't in the show. And if, hmm. I, if I'm a chauvinist okay. in any way, it's because I just don't think an, a nine- or ten-year-old can have that much of a physical presence. But I don't think that's right. the actor's fault. I think that's just... No, no, no. Just... I, I think the actor played as well as she could have... Um... Here's the thing. I don't give a fuck if it's a boy or a girl. It's no, a you child. had the same problem in Magnolia. We just watched this week with the guy right. with the kid, kid giving guff to the game show uh, right. host. You don't like and a lot the of wise... people are explaining that as more artistic license, and that sure. may be fine. In yeah. this, it's not. In this, she's right. clearly shown to be a very like it, it's it's not even wise beyond her years here. She is an adult. So, I... so, so why does it why does it work why does it work for Arya? Like I never making a lot of mistakes and being petty and being vindic- like she's acting more like a child and she's like it's kind of like by luck. But I'm thinking like if if Arya was in a position where all of the male members in her house were killed and she's sitting as the lordess or whatever of uh-huh. of House Stark, what how would she carry on? Um, I think she would be more childlike. I mean, yeah. she is she's on a journey to learn here. Whereas I feel like this ten year old has. We didn't see yeah. some kind of journey that she must have gone on, and now this it has produced an adult in a ten year old. And I just don't buy that. I mean, ten year olds are selfish yeah, and sure. impatient and just uh, sp- not spontaneous. What's the word? Uh, uh, Liberty gibbets, farts in the wind. They're just not so measured and <laughs> articulate. Like. Sure. That is not a child on the screen. If they were raised like Conan the Barbarian style to be that from the like the, the time they were weaned, do you think, maybe? I, I, no, I just think there are inherent things about children that, that would come through yeah. in in their demeanor no matter how they were raised. All right. Uh, I will, and I didn't see any of that here. I wish I had seen a tinge of it. Sure. Just like I see this as clearly a child struggling with this, like sure. Davos was saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she doesn't seem to be struggling with it all. She's got it mastered and yeah. handled and shit's on lock, and I just don't think a 10-year-old ever gets there. All right. The other thing is Maisie Williams is incredible. And, uh, yeah, she but, is. But you can't. There's not... So is this actress. Like, I, I don't know her name, but Good, she's, sure. she's really good in this scene. It just doesn't work for me because of the character. Okay. Well, 
I know a lot of reasonable people disagree, but that's I, I right. I'm it it worked a little bit more for me because I know all the history of the Mormons and like you know one of my like you know when we played the Game of Thrones the board game or Battles of Westeros the board game uh, Maggie Mormont one of my mainstays I used to fuck you up so bad as the Lannister uh, as the Lannisters her and Maggie. Mother? I don't. I think that's the. I think I couldn't okay. tell you the family tree, but yeah. like you know, I thought it was all awesome that like you know that little that particular commander was so badass. <laughs> but uh, so uh-huh. yeah, I'm I'm willing to allow some artistic uh, because I do feel like that's what the books try to portray the Mormons as, mm-hmm. and they did the best they could. But I also sympathize with what you're saying too. Okay. The the one thing that well the other thing that I like about the scene aside from that girl's performance is Davos. I mean sure. Davos here makes an outstanding argument. You know, he he comes at it at a very personal level, and I feel like this works out like really well on an adult who can understand why they're feeling the things they're feeling. Yeah. Um. Th- this argument, like, look, you didn't want to be in this position, but you are. I feel the same way, and we all are now. And you also, know? you're mistaken. This isn't your war, my war. Our this is yeah. our war: the living versus the dead. Yeah. Which I wonder. It's interesting how we got to see so many different approaches that John took with the different people because I wonder why he, you know, why didn't they just lead with that? Uh-huh. Like the Northerners, I think, are inclined to believe the tales, you know, especially from a Night's Watch yeah. commander coming down and saying, This is what we're facing. Like, uh, do you think, do you think that I wanted to fight with Wildling when I signed up for the No, and I've killed these people, uh-huh. but we've seen some shit. Change my mind, and also here's my look at this. Look at look at right. the, look at look at the all the cuts and scars I've got. Like I was dead five days ago. What do you want? Yeah, um, I, I liked it. Uh, yeah. So the, the only thing I guess the big problem I had is the the Mormons keep the Mormons keep was always was was cooler than I expected because you know Jorah always get that speech about how he couldn't keep his wife happy because they they were so poor and they didn't have much and then you roll up and they got this big fucking castle which in the books are described mm. as kind of like a dirt mound with like wooden palisades around it and oh. it's like very very primitive and here it's like man this is this is a pretty nice castle hmm. i wouldn't be yeah. ashamed of this castle but you hear a castle you want to see a fucking castle you don't want to see a, a right. thatch hut or whatever and you know he's been to king's landing maybe <laughs> Sure. Maybe his perspective on it has changed. Indeed. Uh, so Jamie meets with the bu- the Blackfish just outside of the River Run Gates over this drawbridge that you were so amazed by in the instant take. It's awesome. Uh, it is pretty awesome. I'll give you that. Uh, Jamie tries to convince him to surrender, but the Blackfish is having none of it. None of it. He just he just treated with Jamie to get a look at him because sieges are boring i like that. <laughs> that's a great line They're dull affairs yeah yeah i did that was so good and i think that line's right from the book too okay and um i also like the how he's like i i assume you're here to fulfill the vow that you made to my sister which is how you escaped my clutches in the first place uh-huh. oh you're not you don't have my nieces why well, I, I assume you're here to resume your captivity and he's like Make bargaining with the Oathbreakers is like building on quicksand. He's exactly right. Why would you he believe is. anything that Jamie says? Which takes me back to my Braun argument. What the fuck, Braun? Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, you're you're right. And he does blow Jamie a lot of shit here. I thought Jamie took it remarkably well. Like What's he going I, I was to do? wondering, He's got like a dozen crossbows trained on him, and no, I I don't mean like oh he didn't whip out a sword and kill him right there. Oh, what oh, I mean oh. is I don't think he got into Jamie's head as much as. I did at, right after the the show for the instant take. 
Well, and Jamie, I think Jamie stood up to it mentally. Sure, and he said, you know, only a fool makes threats. He's not prepared. He Jamie's uh-huh. not sure what threats he's prepared to make here. Um, and, and I mean, he is making threats. We'll kill every single one of you. Thou- true. Thousands will die. Hundreds will die. Whatever. I I think Jamie, like, you know, he's not dissuaded by dissuaded by this. He is just like, well, I didn't want it to come to this, but now it has to. And and, and getting the measure. Um, of people here, I thought it was interesting when the gates come down and the Blackfish is standing flanked by all these guys. Like there might have been fifty dudes in that scene, and I looked at I I, I was looking at the background a lot in this episode, and every one of those dudes' faces hard as granite. Uh-huh. There are some grim fell faces. They're like fuck you and your golden red armor, and we will die to a man before yeah. we give this castle up to you. It's not just the Blackfish. Uh, I was born here, and I'm going to die here. Like every one of his men are just as committed, and yeah. I thought that was pretty nice. Uh-huh. And I think Jamie. I think that's also something that Jamie probably took in. Like I, yeah. this isn't like one guy and a whole bunch of nervous people shitting their pants, and like this, everyone is committed to not letting me get my way. Yeah, for sure. So he's got a tough road ahead of him, but I think he's resolved to to walk it. The key thing about River Run that people might is is that's literally built over the a river, much like the ancient city of Babylon purported to be. Right. So it's extremely hard to. Uh, it's even, easy. You take the river in. That's how they. That's how you do <laughs> sure. it. Sure. Uh, it's extremely hard to lay siege to this because you can't. Yeah. You you can't. They've got plenty of water. They can fish from the river. They're already provisioned for two years. It's like it's a very tough nut to crack. Yeah. Um, in fact, it might be harder for you to stay supplied sieging them than it is for them, especially the winter coming, to yeah. just wait out the siege. Uh, yeah. Right. And Jamie doesn't want to sit there for two years either. I mean, he doesn't like, have the even time. if he could wait them out, it's, you know, it's, it's a matter of time. And it's also a matter of getting back to King's Landing. I don't think he likes being out here. And also, I think that there's also this like, this isn't what my father would do. Like, I've got to find a way to, to end this and end this fast because that's what yeah. Tywin would do, and that's how he built his reputation. And if I want to keep the Lannisters fierce, I've got to end this decisively. Yeah. How he does that? Yeah, and, he, I mean, he doesn't want to get, you know, he doesn't want a battle of Thermopylae or a, sure. <laughs> you know, anything like that. I think it's interesting that, unlike in the books, Jamie has Bronn by his side, and Bronn's famous for his pro- proclamation of when they talked about the... The eerie being impregnable said, "Give me fifty good men with ropes, and I'll impregnate that bitch." If you if you need a tough nut to be cracked, maybe I mean j- that's in that's in Bronze Wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he'll come up with something spectacular. He could. Maybe he'll dig a trench right in there, just <laughs> just tunnel his way in. Sure. Uh, so we go over to John, who is trying to get the Glover's support this time. It's it's another failure, another huge failure from all sides. This time, a complete failure because Davos can't even save it. Uh, he fails to convince them after admitting that his forces consist mostly of wildlings. You know, the Glover guy laughs in his face. Sansa tries to play the start card again, which also fails miserably. And forget, like, I don't feel like this guy was disloyal. He's like, no. we wept for your father, we rushed to King Rob's side, and he... This is the other point of view where you can be a loyalist northern and think that Rob's an idiot because he took up with a foreign whore mm-hmm. and got himself killed and all the people following. And my castle got sacked when we were fighting this, like, you know, just war that went off the rails. Like, he's got good reasons for saying, no, fuck you. And yeah. also, the Boltons helped me re- re- regain my castle mm-hmm. and my family. What the fuck have you done lately? Right. It it really shows, like, they're starting to 
have us question whether or not the Stark name does, in fact, hold any weight in the North again. It does, but it's going to need more, especially since the Northerners are biased about, you know, the Wildlings. They've been fighting them, and the Wildlings right. have been re- reaping and re- reaving, raping and reaving their way through their northernmost holds for generations. There's a lot of bad blood. Yeah, I mean, as I mean this much wasn't as... just a Night's Watch prejudice. This was the entire North. Right. And even the right. South, like the fucking Tarleys have a strong opinion about wildlings. Like they are mm-hmm. uh, persona non grata in this country. Yeah. And as much as Sansa holds the Stark name and that might help them, well, John holds this reputation as a wildling supporter. Sure. Which hurts them. So, like, they kind of balance each other out. Now, maybe Davos can sweet talk some more people, but it doesn't seem like he's going to. It seems like I, he's ready to fight. The thing I'm worried about is that there seem it seems likely to setting up a stupid Sansa plot. Because Sansa's the one that kind of lost decisively this support for them. Like, I don't know that the Glovers would have supported them, but maybe no, they... her her going and compelling their support and trying to be imperious was the worst thing you could do. And her sitting off this raven seems, I don't know what it contains, but like I'm running down the game theory of what it could be, and it, it doesn't look compelling. Mm-hmm. I'm just really worried that they're going. We're, we're going to get served the silly Sansa plot. Which is fine. Like it's it's completely within her character to yeah. do something rash and impetuous, and she's not good at this. But man, I just I'm ready for Sansa to turn the corner into being kind of a badass. I feel like she's got such a long journey to go on. As much as Jon Snow yeah. in season one would have had a long journey it's to just, go on, it's late. It's late to be making points it that is. she is still a naive teenager who thinks she can later her way out of stuff. You know, right? But I don't want everybody at the end of the show to just be a master yeah, of their level domain. Up. Just level yeah. up, and now we're good to go. Yeah, right. I want it to be more organic than that, and I feel like that's what they're doing. Yeah, I'm. I'm certainly at two minds about it. Yeah, I'm weary of this stupid Sansa, but on the other hand, yeah, right. Uh, I'm. I'm curious. I'm still wondering how the the blackfish thing is going to play out. Now, there's it no doesn't way. appear like Brienne got over there yet. No, and there's no way, like, now if Sansa said, like, the one one interesting possibility, she sends a raven to the blackfish saying, come and help me. Mm-hmm. But he now has 8,000 men encircling him. He's not He's, going anywhere. No. I mean, unless Brienne can, like, talk to Jamie and change his fucking mind, but I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is he going to choose Cersei and his son and the kingdom over Brienne? Probably yes. Sure. Probably yes. Yep. So, I don't know. Uh, Yara and company are docked at some port. I'm not sure exactly where they are. I believe this is Volantis. This it is? This is where okay. the, the, the bridge, the covered bridge, uh, four-story covered bridge seems to be a Volantine thing. All right. So, we're we're picking up pretty pretty uh, this is late in, in their this is, journey this is in slaver's bay it's yeah. like on the outskirts of it it's in the neighborhood right uh so they're docked there and they're drinking and they're whoring and having a grand old time uh everyone except for theon of course theon is paranoid and uncomfortable and yara makes him drink up drink a whole bunch of uh ale and then kind of you know gives him a harsh dose of reality look if this is you forever just end it just kill, kill yourself. yourself yeah if it's not you forever, I need you back. Yeah. I need you to find Theon, and we need to go do what we've got to do. It must be said. It must be said to tell a person suffering from PTSD and abuse to yeah. get drunk <laughs> and kill yourself. 
is, is bad advice. Mm-hmm. But ironically, uh, Yara, a lot of people don't know this as a book detail. She's a fully licensed therapist in the Iron Islands. That's just how. Really? That's just how they roll. Okay. Like you either not you either get undepressed or you kill yourself again. Terrible. Like <laughs> nine times out of ten, you're going to wake up. Theon's going to be in the bathtub with his wrist slit. Uh, does a suicide getting, note, but does, I do feel like it's taught entirely within these peoples and these particular characters oh yeah. to behave like. And I, I think Yara loves her brother, but she doesn't love this version of her brother, and she's of she course. entirely means it. Like I am at peace if I wake up in the morning and you're dead, right? And especially going back to like, well, we tried to save you, and people died, and like th- th- this is worthless to me. Yeah, this is less than worthless. It's actually harming us actively. Yeah. Uh, does does getting your therapy license in the Iron Islands? Yeah, d- d- do you have to drown to do that? Do you have to be like <laughs> resurrected? Uh, what is yeah, dead may practice therapy. That's, like? that's pretty much yeah. Okay, yeah. You uh, know what? I've been there. I've died. It's not so bad, Theon. All right. So we also saw Yara's version of carousing. Right. Yeah. She likes the ladies. She likes the ladies. Is, is, is are we ready for a Yara wooing the Dragon Queen plot? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, it's it seems like they're setting that up, uh-huh. or at least an attempt. You know, I don't know how Danny will respond to it. Yeah, because Danny seems like she likes she likes the dudes. She does. Yeah. I, I don't think we've seen any hints of Danny liking women, but I don't know. Maybe you know, Yara dragons, is convincing. Dragons, they're as changeable as flame. That's true. She is a dragon <laughs> in spirit, certainly. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're definitely setting that. That up. was an interesting, um, an interesting piece of Mar- uh, uh, an unexpected be- uh, bit of Martin's razoring going on. Yeah, uh, I really love that line from uh, Theon when she's like, "Look, I know you had some bad years," and he's like, "Bad, bad years? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me?" Great line. Uh, so John and Sansa... That's and, literally the first lecture when you go to get your therapist license. It's just like, I know you've had some bad years. <laughs> so John, Sansa, and Davos are touring their new encampment where all the wildlings are set up. They're kind of in a valley at the, the foothills of a mountain there. Uh, they talk about when they're going to attack. Davos thinks that they have a shot at taking Winterfell. So does John. But Sansa thinks they need more men. And uh, it seems like the men that they do have are at each other's throats. Yep. And then at the very end of the scene, Sansa, frustrated with John, spots a raven and decides to send a letter to someone. To who and for what purpose? I think to get more men, to get more fighting men, but I don't know to who. Now, as I was pondering this scene, a lot was made about what good fighting ground this is at. Like, okay. like that, that Stannis is one of the finest military commanders, and you've got these natural fortifications, mm-hmm. and this is, like, you've got a really strong defensive advantage here. Is it possible that Sans is sending a version of the pink letter to Ramsay to goad him into attacking at a place where he, not only is oh, he giving up the man. defensive advantage of Winterfell, and we know that he's a fucking idiot. That's a really good theory. That's the best one. How pissed would he be to get a letter from Sansa Yeah, right like, oh, but yeah, you fucking broke Here I dick. am. I killed your girlfriend. I stole your plaything. Yep. I'm with my bastard brother who's, the, who's more of a lord than you'll ever be with your fucking title. Come and get us. I'm putting the seal on it. That's what's happening here. It makes total sense. That would be pretty righteous. Yeah. Especially especially if Ramsey, as is popular 
popularly theorize if Ramsey didn't write that letter, if that was a little yeah. finger match. So, like, Ramsey's just minding those business, like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, he's already an idiot, and, and Sansa sends him this. I, that's the best possibility, I think. It now, is. That's that's pretty bold of Sansa to be mm-hmm. kind of like not discuss this with any of my counsel or in my brother and just and she'd better tell them after the fact. Look, I did this. It's too late to stop it. Yeah, but this is what's happening. Sure. So be prepared. Sure. I mean, that's if she doesn't say anything and they just show up, and I'm fine with that because like if if fucking Sean Connery can do that in the Hunt for Red October uh-huh. and be seen as a badass, then so can Sansa. Yeah, it's good for the goose. It's good for the gander. So I'm if if that's what she's doing. That's a non-stupid Sansa thing. It's a, it's super risky, but uh, you know. And, and I love how it uses her character's history to to execute a plan. Like, and it's I think a smart plan. It completely removes that defensive advantage, especially because you got to think like the Glovers certainly said no to John. Yes, but do the Glovers go to war against the Starks? Mm, that's a good question. They won't help, and, and them, that's the but thing. Like maybe also Sansa's and like, yeah, they're not going to help us on an offensive war. But if we're being like, are they going to fight against us? Like how? Like this cuts both ways. Um, they're of two minds. But if Ramsay calls his banners to march against the last surviving Starks, how many really answer the call? Or if they answer the call, do they pull like a Braveheart sort sure. of thing and the defect Irish to and the, the other side? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. uh, that could totally happen. Like you get the Umbers up there, sure. and maybe. You know, it's kind of all part of the plan. Who knows? Yep. It's uh, going to be exciting. There's three more episodes. Man, there's going to be so much shit that happens. Yeah. Next one looks really good, by the way. All right. Anyway, so Deadwood Guy tells his followers all about the bad things he's done, how remorseful he is. And now he's just trying to do good because it's never too late to come back. And he's kind of eyeing Sandor while he's talking about that. Uh, That seems to land with the Hound. But unfortunately, a trio of assholes ride up and menace them. After they leave, the Hound says that they should fight to protect themselves and continues angrily chopping wood right through dinner. All right. Uh, do we think this is the Brotherhood Without Banners? That's what he said, right? Do we think that if we agree that those are the... So it makes sense because they said it was the Brotherhood and they they all worship the Seven now since... Uh, or I'm sorry, the, the Lord of Light since Barrett came back from the dead. And they uh, use that phrase. Uh, yeah, the night's dark and full of terrors. Right. Yep. On the other hand, we don't know who came back and killed all the people. Fair. And are, are, are is also is it also possible that bands of outlaws are operating as the Brotherhood without banners. Like I, I, I suppose. I'm just I mean, very, and, unless I see like Thoros or Beric or Gendry right. or no, well, Gendry's not there anymore. Um, any anyone that we rec- are recognizably a part of the the bunch, like the yep. the the archer that was so badass. Um, I'm going to be skeptical that this is really the Brotherhood because this is with it's, it's it's and I got lots of feedback on it. This is very wildly out of character for them. They are the protector of the small folk. Mm-hmm. And here we got them preying on them for no good damn reason. Right. So I'm wondering what is afoot here. There is some something afoot. I'm not sure what it is. Okay. Uh, I don't have too much else to say about that scene. I do have a lot to say about the next one, though. Arya. Bribing... Oh, wait. The other thing yeah. is um, you want to talk about the the limits of pacifism in a world like this? Like, the Septon says, violence well, is a disease. You don't cure it by spreading it. And the Hound comes back, nor by dying. Right. They're pretty obvious. They're laid bare in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every yeah. single one of them is killed. Also, do you think that the Hound is going to feel especially guilty because 
if he had heeded this call to fellowship, come you've you've done enough, come and get some stew. Mm-hmm. Maybe the hound could have been there and turned the tide. Or maybe he would have been killed along with him. Or maybe he'd been him, killed you know? along with him. Uh there's a point they're making here and I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. I mean I personally but, I think pacifism doesn't work in a world like that. I don't you think need it works. A civilization. I think absolute pacifism well, yeah. is never gonna work, period. But uh sure. I haven't I, thought about it that much to yeah, to you know state I mean? that emphatically, but I understand why you think that. Yeah, I mean, if you're not willing to fight for pacifism, then you're going to lose to anyone that is. Yeah, and if you're a true pacifist, you can't fight. So, sure. what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Let's move over to Arya, who I don't think is a pacifist. She's <laughs> no. she's bribing... she'll pass the fist <laughs> right, right to your jaw. Yep, like Jamie will. Uh, Arya bribes a ship captain to take her to Westeros. She strolls through the city, looking at the sights, and gets attacked on a bridge by Waif, disguised as an old woman. She's stabbed, she falls into the water, and once Waif is gone, she's, you know, just a little more paranoid as she stumbles through the streets bleeding. So, lots of people wrote in with problems with this scene. Oh, yeah. But on subsequent watches, I'm convinced there's some Ocean's Eleven type bullshit going oh, on. Oh, yeah. That we're going, to get a, we're going to get a scene that later reveals that this is not... This was not a real SWAT team. That the duffel bags were stuffed full of porno ads. That like there, uh-huh. there's no fucking way that Arya throws this gold around and buys conspicuous patches to Westeros, and then is just fucking around. We just saw her in hiding in the darkness, and now she's just strolling around without a care in the world and gets killed by the waif. Like there's so got, got to be like it, it. I don't think I don't think we're, I think we're gonna find out that Arya did not in fact get stabbed and. Yeah. There was an interesting image that someone posted on Reddit that shows in the scene where Arya's walking through the crowds before she gets stabbed, there is a person from the back that is wearing the exact Arya in her oysters, clams, and cockles mercy outfit. Okay. From uh, So, like, I think they're already setting us up that there might even be multiple Arias. Now, I don't know how this works. I'm assuming that it will make sense once we get the reveal, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that Arya got stabbed. I don't either. Um... She's acting too nonchalant. I think the most damning thing is she doesn't have needle on her. Yes. I can't see Arya abandoning needle. Especially ever. in Bra- Bravos, where going around with a sword on your hip is like a com- very common thing. Yeah. They do street dueling and all kinds of shit in, in Bravos. Right. I mean, is she just touring the city without a weapon, buying passage? Again, obviously, like splashing cash around like you're the, a dumb gangster yeah. in a in, in a Goodfellas production. It's incredibly stupid. Where did she get the money? Yeah. I mean, did she go around stealing a bunch of money before she this? Could, and sure, but that's against... she could, but that's even more obvious. Yeah, it's like, like she's she's showing up in her pink Cadillac and she's getting out in her fur coat and she's saying, "Hey, I got you know, I want I want the best passage possible." That's not the aria we know. Okay, let me now, ask and you I this. think it's funny. That the scene works so well as this is Arya getting stabbed, even though it is not consistent at all with what we know about the way Arya carries herself and what she's learned from yeah. dealing with the faceless men. And, and carries herself is important. I mean, even the way she's walking sure. doesn't feel like Arya. Now, we know Arya is trained to blend in and trained yeah. to act and all these sorts of things, but yeah, uh, it doesn't feel like Arya in those scenes. The other thing, uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Okay, do it. If it's not her, 
why this whole out of the water act? I walking don't, down the street, bleeding and being so paranoid and being surprised and shocked. That's and, a good question because if this is main, part of a plan, maintaining the POV throughout that is the is the is the greatest argument in in the favor of that is Arya who just miscalculated and was stupid and got stabbed. Right. And again, it's not like the wave has no skill as well. What do you mean? Well. It's actually very hard to show two people who are very smart and skilled at getting the better at each other to to have one believably get the that's why it takes something like an Ocean's 11 or an Italian job like it's or it's the work of a whole two and a half hour movie to work yourself up to the point where that pays off satisfyingly right or like a 13 episode season in the case of like season 4 Breaking Bad okay sure like that's what i think sure it takes a while to show like two very smart people that are good at doing these things one of them is just a little bit better so yeah. in that case i feel like they did a poor job at showing the wave just ultimately winning and and they also show i mean i you know all this stuff that they've used to this point, like the waif just handing Arya her ass single-handedly with, without being armed, like all this is to serve this one scene. So you have a debate like this: like, was it Arya? Did she really forget all she's? Was the waif that much better? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the double D's intended us to have this debate and to feel this way. So I'm gonna go with a theory here. Do it. That I've I've partially S- seen. Serve it up some dry pie. Well, probably, yeah, <laughs> most likely. I haven't read any of the emails, so sorry if I do. But you can't. That's the, the like. Anytime you're talking, anytime you're emailing, you're talking to me because uh, as a historical quirk, I set up the Game of Thrones mailbox so it only goes to me and not you. So I wouldn't get spoilers early on. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I should probably matter. undo that, but it's it's nah. it's kind of fun. Anyway, um, so I think this is also a big test for the waif. Um, sure, because. There's a scene last episode where Waif goes to Jack and she says, I'm going to go after her. You promised me. Mm-hmm. He says, don't let her suffer. Yeah. Don't don't make her suffer. Now, Waif, when she grabs Arya in this episode, could have slit her throat. Yep. Instead, she chose to stab her in the guts. Mm-hmm. That's suffering. And twist the knife, which is an idiom. Slice her, stab idi- her twice. It, which is an idiom for inflicting the maximum emotional and physical pain. When you Absolutely. twist the knife, you're, not do- you're going above and beyond what you need to do to kill someone. So... I think what's happening here is some faceless person, uh-huh. whether it's Jacken or whether it's someone that Jacken sent to test the waif. Uh, I keep calling her the waif. It's just waif, right? That's her name. The, I mean, I don't think she hasn't. No, her no. It's the waif. It's in the, the waif. We refer to her as the waif in the books. Okay, All she right. doesn't have a name because she's a, she's no one. But but I, I don't know if it's Jacken. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, this is Jacken disguised as Arya. I don't sure. think so. I don't think. Whoever you think Jacken is, yeah. whether Jacken is actually Jacken, yeah. we don't know. But the character that we know as Jacken, I don't think he's disguised as Arya. I think it's some other faceless person. Could be. Uh, Yet another initiative going through her, their test. Who knows? Right. And this is set up to test the wave. I think, and and you got to say failed. that she is like she's botched a mission as bad as Arya ever has because not In only spirit and letter. Yeah, she didn't fulfill the death contract, and. If she did, she didn't do it the way she was instructed to do it, and she's also got right. emotion and passion behind it, which is not what the Faceless Men are all about. Right. So I do feel like that's part of the Ocean's Eleven reveal that that the that the that that the waif is done fucked up as well. Yeah. She's fallen in the same trap that Arya has. I think so. Okay. Anything else to say about this scene? I I do want to say that there's also some compelling similarities between Arya and the Hound. 
that like even if this is Arya, it works on a level because the Hound was killed by a woman and left for dead, ironically trying to protect Arya. And Arya and the Hound are wearing very similar outfits. So the Hound staggers back to see all of her the people he cares about now dead and mm-hmm. swears revenge. Arya is staggering and bleeding and has been betrayed by this person, which reflects the Hound's out a story uh, in, in season four. And the Hound coming back to see all the people he cared about being killed reflects Arya's arc in season one and two. I thought that was pretty interesting, the showing that maybe these characters are going to be bound more tightly together yeah. uh, in the future as they were in the past. Yeah, I do like that with the time they spent together. And if, even if it's just an artistic thing, I like the symmetry, especially when you cut yeah. the one scene right from the other. Right. Okay, let's go to the last scene. It's the Hound still chopping wood when he hears some screams. Uh, when he gets back to his group, they're all dead. Deadwood guy has been hanged, and the Hound picks up an axe and walks off. Looks looks pretty angry. Yeah, when he picks up the axe, feels like he's going to split the earth with it. It's on. I yeah. can't wait. Yeah, he. I would hate to be the Brotherhood right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that indeed is the Brotherhood, yeah, it, it's 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 incredibly strong. And I think it's an indictment of, you know, the Deadwood guy's attitude. I don't think you can live in this world and be a pacifist. Sure, sure. At least not in its current state. Great. I mean, I want to say it's the greatest non-big, splashy Game of Thrones scene episode ever. You know? Okay. Like, it's not hmm. a, it's not a, it's not a black, it's it's not a Blackwater, it's not a hard home, but just pound for pound, a badass dialogue and really nice character moments and satisfying payouts and rev- I, I thought it was pretty, it, it's right up there. I feel like they're really setting up an epic episode eight sure uh at least i'm hoping for it yeah but we'll see i don't know like nine's usually the hammer but man i well, they've you, done eight too wasn't hard home eight you might be season? right i think either so. six or eight but yeah oh jeez, was that that early well, that's the thing like there's some in later seasons they've kind of broken with that because like season four you had incredible moments throughout you had the purple wedding and you had uh, I believe right. the, the the mountain and the viper was a, 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 a episode eight as well. So yeah, hard home is episode eight. Okay, there you go. So yeah, we could get uh, who knows, who knows. We'll see. Hey, I'm here to tell you about the club at club.baldmove.com. We got a hot feature hitting tomorrow, Wednesday this week, uh, which is the episode, uh, our playthrough of Telltale's Game of Thrones. House Forester Saga. It's the final episode of the first season. I thought it might be the final episode ever, but it turns out. It seems like there's going to be a second season because this very felt much felt like the end of a season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were committed to the destruction of House Forrester. Uh, we wanted to ineptly manage it into the ground. And I think we did a pretty damn good job, Jim. Hard yeah. to imagine House Forrester being in a worse position uh-huh. if, if, if you tried. And we did. So uh, if that sounds entertaining, you want to see us uh, playing through and cracking jokes and just trying to run a house into the ground. Go to baldmove.com tomorrow. Be a club member, and you can see our playthrough of that. Uh, and if again, if you're not sure if it's worth it, I'm going to include a link to the first playthrough we did at the first episode for free, so you can get uh, several hours of uh, an idea of what these things are like. Um, so there's that. We also have um, ad-free feeds and uh, VIP forum features, uh, shows like... Uh, uh, silent movies and quit your pitching, which are purely bonus content, and lunch with Jim and Aaron, and and on the rocks with Jim and Aaron. A lot of uh, features um, that are they're more geared to if you if you like the bald move community, and and 
more importantly, it's just a way to help support us because I'm telling you right now, uh, we couldn't do three podcasts a week on Game of Thrones if we were not doing this as a full-time job because it takes up a lot of time and effort. And as evidence for that, we never did three podcasts when we were doing this part-time. So if you'd like to support an independent podcast and keep the hits coming and help us out, uh, we'd appreciate your support at club.baldmove.com. It's as little as a buck a month. So we're not asking for much. just just enough to, to help keep our lights on. Uh, and I appreciate all the support in advance. Shall we get the feedback now? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Again, we were a day early, so uh, this might be feel a little light. Uh, also, forums at baldmove.com if you want to discuss it. And, you know, don't forget, we got Friday coming up for the spoiler edition if you're uh, not spoiler-averse, if, you, if you're not afraid of book info. Sure, we'll have a lively in, uh, conversation. Rob from Illinois said, I was just wondering how the understudy actress could afford the price the faceless men charge to kill a person. I was under the impression that the faceless men charge astronomical sums of money to perform a hit. Remember in season one where they're talking about assassinating Danny? Littlefinger said they it would they could buy an army of cell swords for the price it would take for a faceless men to kill a merchant, let alone a princess. Then again, Arya got three names got got three people killed uh, for, for in saving jack saving three people sure right so i mean there are other ways to pay is what i'm saying yeah and in the books they go into a little bit more detail that the price is always dear like okay. if you're yeah. a rich man it might cost a shit ton of gold but if you're a poor uh-huh. person maybe uh you have to sacrifice your daughter or mm-hmm. you know like it's it's always something that you it's just shy of what you're unwilling to give and it's a great personal cost to you yeah so what is that you know the other thing is you know we'll have some theories about maybe it wasn't maybe ari was wrong and it wasn't the understudy that took out this hit like but if it was i don't know what a a, a, a poor up and coming actress could pay but you know Mm-hmm. It's something. It's something. Uh, Caleb C. says, I was listening to the Tuesday podcast and was interested in the discussion of Cyril Pharrell. This is speculation that he could be a faceless man and that he could potentially be alive and able to save Arya. However, there seemed to be doubt of this scenario because of Cyril's motto towards the god of death is not today. Isn't it possible, perhaps even likely, though, that Cyril is a former faceless man? Then his motto would be an act of defiance against an old religion that he no longer follows. I don't know if he is alive or is about to help Arya, but him being a faceless man should definitely be in play. Or I guess a former faceless man. That's not a bad theory. Like, again... That's like saying, oh, I was once a Jehovah's Witness, so I'm prone to being one again? Like, No, 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 no. I think he's saying that, like, because the reason I say he can't be a faceless man is because he says, what do we say to the God of death, not today, which is an anathema. It'd be more like if I'm a Jehovah's Witness and I say, you know, there fuck is no God. Jehovah. Sure. Or so, you know, that, yeah. that's kind of like, and I do. I, I, I do say things like, you know, I'm an atheist from time to time. So I guess that would make sense, yeah? But... We're talking about it in the context of him swinging back into action on a rope from a balcony. Like that doesn't that doesn't wash with why with him no longer being a faceless man. Why? Because right? he, I mean, he could have all the skills and abilities of a faceless man. Because that does seem like it's some kind of practical. I mean, yeah, it might be magic, but it's magic in the same way that you know you've got a spell, right? And... So I guess, do you think that Arya can still? do the things that she was able to do under their tutelage. And I guess the answer would be yes. So I guess Serio, maybe if he was a former faceless man could do that, but 
wh- how? Like, how did he find her? Like, sure. how does he know where she even is? Well, like, so there's also this theory that... No Jack- one knows where she is. But but there's also a theory that Ciro was Jackin and that, like, he was tutoring Arya. Like, she's somehow special. Like, she's the princess that was promised to them or something. So, ha- so like, so Jackin was Ciro protected and then she I, he zero dies and it turns out jack and then turns up to continue her tutelage gives her the iron coin she used the iron coin okay. so it's like it's been jack and it's jack and all the way down she's his turtles all the way to the bottom i will just say that is a lot of speculation indeed a lot with zero supporting evidence and i've i've made peace of the fact that Ciro's probably dead like i was the biggest zero and we didn't see him die kind of supporter right. but um on the other hand so and that's what's dangerous about me as a critic in this case because I really kind of want that to be true and sure. I'm prepared to swallow a lot more bullshit than you I think are to make that true and probably a lot of so. people. Yeah. So But I I don't know. I wouldn't call myself a critic. I don't know if you'd call yourself that, but we're having conversations as fans. So yeah. I think you have a little license to want some things to happen. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh and that's that's the one thing I worry about because what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, I want that to happen, and I'll be prepared to... Ex- my suspension is... My disbelief is firmly suspended. It's on concrete pillars with, like, iron scantlings and stuff. Like, it's it's very secure. Right. Uh, an, an average fan might might crumble a little bit more. I don't know. Uh, moving on to Spencer H. Said, whoever wrote the Dothraki language did a phenomenal job. It's almost hard to believe a speech in a made-up language could sound that badass and convincing. Also props to Amelia Clark for pulling it off so flawlessly. So I looked into it, and I was actually pleasantly surprised that Dothraki is a joint project between David J. Peterson and George R.R. Martin. And David uh, graduated from Berkeley with a degree in English and linguistics, and he's actually done several invented languages. He did the like dark elvish language in Thor 2. Um, what's germane to my interest is he also invented the Verbus Diablo, the devil speech from Penny Dreadful which I'm covering with my co-host Cecily on Penny Earful, which is a podcast we're doing right now. If you're a fan, you want to check that out on baldmove.com. Uh, so he's done a lot of this. He's kind of, uh, and I guess that's his claim to fame, that he actually breaks it down and thinks, like, huh. what the basic grammar and syntax so it sounds like a believable language, and that's his oogie boogie. I, I feel like him and Davos need to get together and commiserate over how they're in places they never thought they'd be. <laughs> like, going as a, a English and... and linguistics major you can't foresee a future where you're creating new languages for fiction you know i bet that's not that hard because there's precedent for it like J.R. tolkien i mean that was his like he's this big english right. scholar and he's one of the you know modern translators of beowulf and he also invented a shit ton of languages so i i bet there is but it's not like you're a web developer and you can see the immediate need for these things and yeah, there's yeah, yeah. a lot of that that sure. demand yeah no it's like there's one dude in hollywood who does this <laughs> and if you're lucky enough to be him that's rad but yeah Whew. yeah uh in a z had a lot of clarifications and um and affirmations of the points we made in the light of previous podcast we've talked about whether brand seeing the future as well as the past and present is that something a green seer is in a well house and she linked to a uh, scene where Jojen told Bran when they first met that he can indeed see the pa- the past, f- present, and future as a green seer. So him seeing okay. the future is a confirmed thing, or at least an opinion of Jojen. Gotcha. Uh, secondly, I wondered whether we had the scene of Cersei, or I'm, I'm sorry, of Jaime uh, sitting upon the Iron Throne, if we'd ever heard of that or seen it before. And I should have known 
that the Double Ds would have invented a book on, or a show only scene to give us a detail that's found only in the books. But when Cersei's talking to Ned and they're talking about you got to when you play the Game of Thrones either win or die. She mentions that when you know Jamie told me the story of when you came home and you found him on the the the, the throne and he kicked him off okay. and you should have sat it that was your mistake. So that's confirmed. And also, uh, she found two other scenes where uh, when Bran warged in the Hodor, you got the brief image of his eyes flashing the white, and then they resume to the natural hue, and he goes apeshit. So is that you can't not this not in the door, but. But in other episodes, yeah, he's like been the previous time that he warged. Yeah, there's into one Hodor? where he did. Yeah, there's one he did okay. when the wildlings were attacking a tower and they're hiding out, and he warged in the Hodor to shut him up. And then there is also the door. Uh, there's also the door episode, and there's also the one where they uh, were confronting the Black Brothers at Craster's Keep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, uh, if you want to cite Hodor's lack of eye whiteness to say that Bran's not warged into him, you and and this is I'm. No more on this subject. I think it's right. like, if you want to believe that Hodor was noble side, whatever, it doesn't matter to the plot. No. It comes up again. I'm happy to con- consider it, but I'm, I'm considering the matter closed now. Good. All right, moving forward to Faith from North Carolina says, In season three, Arya met Melisandre in the Riverlands where she was with the Brotherhood Without Banners. She comes for Gendry. When Arya protests, Ms. Melisandre looks into her eyes and says, I see darkness in you. I see eyes staring back at me. Blue eyes, brown eyes, etc., etc. We will meet again. Does this mean Arya will make it back over to Westeros? Um, this was actually from last week, but I thought it was prescient because if you take Melisandre's words to be prophetic, isn't this kind of evidence that Arya cannot die? At least not yet. Uh, well, you know, she thought that about Stannis too. So I don't True. know how much. I really take uh, Melisandre's because words. There's also theories I've considered ridiculous up until this point that Arya, that the faceless men might use Arya's face to do something, mm-hmm. and not literally Arya, and that would be literally true if Melisandre meets a faceless man or woman, a uh, faceless no one, meeting uh, wearing Arya's face. That that yeah. could make this literally true. And we know. might have actually just seen that this episode. If, well, you, if you don't believe that that Melisandre, was actually Arya. But she didn't meet Melisandre. We have to see her meet Melisandre to the, make the prophecy come true. No, no, no. I mean what you said about the Faceless Men using Arya's face oh, to do something. certainly. Test the wave, maybe. Certainly. Um, so there's that. But that's the thing. Like I, I don't think... My interpretation is Melisandre did not see false things. Melisandre interpreted them wrongly. So if she says, I saw your eyes with many other eyes and so much blood and we'll meet again, I think that's literally true, but it could be, mm-hmm. again, fulfilled by a, a faceless person wearing an Arya mask. Moving on, Jordan M. from Connecticut says, I couldn't imagine Danny as a villain. Uh, this is something we talked about, like maybe Danny is the big villain instead of the savior of the show. And she's shown signs of instability and the madness runs in her family. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I didn't see her as a villain because she's worked so hard to break up slavery and has so far eluded the Targaryen crazy curse and the dragons would seem to be integral part of the defeated the White Walkers. But after watching episode 606, I've seen her differently. As a character, I still like her and her motivations make sense. But who is she kidding? The way it's looking, Danny will travel to Westeros on dragons with an army of Dothraki, Unsullied, and Second Son sellswords advised by Tyrion, Jorah, and Varys. On Euron Greyjoy's ships? That motley crew is not going to make Westeros great again. 
Aside from the Unsullied, the rest of her army is a slash-and-burn, purely destructive force that no one in Westeros can rally behind. Is she planning on using fear and devastation to sow disrespect and rule of law? What kind of story will this end up being if Danny sweeps in on Drogon and burns the fuck out of everyone? This is something I've been asking rhetorically. What is Gurm playing at with this story? Right. What kind of story is he telling? And we just don't know. Because you're right. Pirates and Mongol hordes and cutthroat cell swords are not the kind of army a virtuous person rides to the head of. On yeah. the other hand, Jorah is a, was a traitor. Uh, 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 Dario was a sellsword who betrayed his own people. She has turned them into true believers. Like, maybe through the sheer force of her cult of personality, sheer mm-hmm. force of her cult of personality, she can make these people not be the rapist, murdering thieves that they are. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at it from the real world perspective and maybe some of the influences that Martin is using when he writes, Mm -hmm. do you think that he would write essentially what is an anathema in our world, which is to our world, which is a benevolent dictator? Is that what you think he's getting at with Danny? Well, I mean, like I said, because it's not very realistic. Right. And if you, and if you think he's writing from a realistic place, which he kind of said he wanted to make Lord of the Rings a little more, realistic sure. one to ground that more and, more interesting and real, yeah um then maybe that's just not a, a place we're going to get to could be like i said i i still think that danny as you know installing a parliamentary style democracy is kind of like a, a plausible end game yeah um and in which case she's leading a coalition of the willing who are true believers to her way of life and but you know it's just it's also entirely pl- possible that she is a false messiah Sure. Or gets or was a genuine messiah who gets corrupted. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also some interesting symmetry between, like, we don't have any problem seeing the the Night's Watch as a force for good, and yet they made no bones about it that these were a bunch of common thieves and rapists and murderers and crazy right. and, and, and insane people. Like these were all the undesirable dregs of Westeros that you're fighting with. Now, yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. You've had. Uh, mutiny after mutiny. So, like, I some of this stuff is kind of like you can't. If you want to draw a parallel between Danny's forces and these, it it doesn't look so good for her. But I don't know. Maybe this is the counterpoint to that. That yeah, if, if you maybe. tell, if you expect more from people, that they're happy to give it. I don't know. What is what is Gurm playing at? That's a question we can ask ourselves continually. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to Samantha J. I'm curious about the seeming lack of repercussions relating to Ramsay's disposal of Walda Frey and her son. Presumably, Walder Frey knows of Roose Bolton's demise as Ramsay made a point of sending ravens around to tell everyone. Frey would probably also be aware that Walda was pregnant with an heir to the Bolton title. Wouldn't Walder Frey be suspicious of Ramsay and be concerned for the safety of his kin? Wouldn't someone have let it slip to the phrase that he fed her and the newborn son to his dogs? It seems like this would have been a big deal to the phrase. What do you think? I don't know how much, uh, I don't know, respect I have for Walder Frey as a tactician, as a, I mean, he pulled off the Red Wedding, but he's an old kook. He's more angry than he is cunning, I think, uh, at this point. I don't. I don't know. But he's also he's... very calculating. Like in the first season, Catelyn said that the her father used to refer to him as the late Walder Frey because 
he only showed up to the battle to support the usurper, uh, Robert Baratheon's forces, when it was very clear that yeah. he was winning. Mm-hmm. Like, he's kind of like, oh, I, I've i got, uh, you know, I'm washing my hair. Or I just got, he's got all these excuses for why he can't take the field. The river's flooded, whatever. And then when one side's winning, he can swoop in and be like, aha, I was on your side all along. Yeah. Um, so he is a little bit more calculated than this. Now, right. okay. maybe he's just preoccupied with River Run. Um, that seems foolish because yeah. I would be suspecting that the Boltons were going to fuck me if I was him, but I don't mm. know whether that's a plot hole or a character point, And I guess we'll have to see how it, how it goes down from here. Uh, Ross B said, you asked why Walter Frey didn't leave the twins to go take up the seat of river run. And this is the explanation I've come up uh, for you. Walter is old as balls. He has already gone through 19 wives, and it's possible he's too old to travel. Sure, the Tullys have looked down upon him his entire life, but he may be content to just stay in the castle he has, which is also still a pretty important uh, location tactically, and let one of his 20 sons sit in River Run. It just didn't work out for him. I don't know about him being too old to travel, but the whole... The twins is his whole source of power and why he is a thing in Westeros. And Mm. we already have established that he doesn't trust his sons at all so yeah. like river run if he loses it it's a it's a embarrassment to him but it doesn't do anything to his power as long as he controls the crossing of the trident hmm. he is a political force in westeros or unless someone like he just has an army that they can just take it from him yeah but uh so i that's that's a good point ross Spencer R. says, One of my many issues with the Night's King is that he stands as this one-dimensional representation of evil. Watching the show, I find myself wondering, what's his motivation? Is it just that the series hasn't presented us with anyone as shallow as the Night's King before? A character that appears to only want to destroy everyone and have a legion of brainless followers? It's so uncharacteristic of Gurm's characters. Then when you read your email about the Knights, what the Knights King wants with Bran, and it occurred to me if the Knights King could convert Bran, that he could possibly use Bran to effect change in the past, such as his very creation, of which he seems to be an unwilling participant. This motivation makes a bit more sense to me than just merely the bad guy is bad. Um, what do you think? Is the Knights King a shallow, one-dimensional character that George Martin says he didn't want to create? I think the answer is clearly no. We just don't know what the the truth of it is yet. Yeah. Cuz like like he says in the email, he, he clearly was not a willing participant. Sure. Um we know that the children of the forest created the Night's King and then it obviously got away from him. Sure. Like now it's actively fighting against them. What how did that happen? What was the road to that? We don't know yet. And if we want to lean into this Tolkien comparison, one of the big things that motivate Tolkien to read, to write The Lord of the Rings was his very personal reaction to the mechanized horrors of World War I, which he fought in. Right. And I've been thinking about, you know, one of the modern scourges that we deal with today is like unexpended ordnance and landmines. Like these things are just mined the fuck out of the places in the world and it ha it 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 reaps a grim harvest down and like mines laid down 40 50 years ago kill children yeah. and farmers today mm-hmm. and it's like a big issue like a, a, a country spend a lot of money reclaiming these landmine fields and it's kind of interesting that these are weapons from long forgotten obsolete wars that are still killing today and mm. that feels relevant to the knights king yeah. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, this is a hot theory that if he's trying to subvert Bran so he can undo his own creation, maybe it's arguable that the Night's King is uh, like this virtuous character. 
Like he might be, or at least ultimate... it has an understandable motive, right? Like... Well, if, if he undoes that, like what? How much suffering would he undo through the thousands and thousands of years of his history? Right, and also like I think Cause... it's it's also it, it's also kind of just. Yeah, I don't think he's one-dimensional because it is tragic. He was an unwilling victim, and now he's this dangerous automaton who's going around killing things. Sure. So yeah. even just a plain face re- reading, I think, is a little bit more interesting than just this is a manifestation of evil in the world. Right, and we just haven't seen enough yet Yeah. to really know his true motivations. Uh, one other thing. I don't think I... A couple of people asked me, and I, I, I thought that would come up in conversation, but I, and I think I just barely remembered it now. Some people had a, had a problem with Davos referring to him as the Night King. Like, how the fuck does Davos know that's his name? You got any idea? No, I have no idea. I mean, that, so the, the, the way I would make an analogy to this is, let's say, you, know, you don't believe in Satan the Devil or Lucifer, or but, but what if, just for sake of argument, in 2020... I saw him. Like, like, literally, like, on CNN, the United States Army or the UN Army is fighting a 20-foot-tall, bipedal, hoofed, red, horn, fork-tailed creature with demonic fire. Uh-huh. Like, for and it, he might not be literally the devil, but for lack of a better word, if people call you, like, call him Satan or Mephistopheles or whatever the fuck his name is or any of the different... Like, I don't think people would be like, how the hell do you know that's devil? Like... The Night King is a legend in Westeros. Right. And when you're confronted with someone who looks and acts and be- has the behavior of the legendary figure, I think Davos would say, like, I don't think that's a show-only creation. This is a legendary creature Yeah, that people have just forgotten about that was, that's real. So that's kind of the way I see it. Sure. Um, Vanessa W. says, do you think Cersei knew ahead of time that Tommen had decided to align with the Faith Militant, which was the secret that he wasn't supposed to tell her? I wouldn't put it past her to set up Lady Olenna and the rest of House Tyrell in this way. What better way to get Jaime uh, to become Lord of Castle Rock? She certainly wouldn't want Kevin to take over the title, given his contempt for her. I think this theory would also explain why she was so calm afterwards. Now, you'd have to, you'd have to, to believe this theory, you'd have to believe that Cersei keeps this from Jaime. That this is a long con she's planning to get her lover to be the rightful heir of Castle Rock again, etc., etc., etc. How plausible do you think this is uh well i've already kind of stated that i think she has just straight up lost and that marjorie is actually pulling more of the strings here now uh okay so i'm sticking with that all right i don't think it's the case but Fair enough um sure i mean if you want to go down that path you do you do have to contend with the like what you said about jamie not knowing sure and i don't know that it's above cersei to plan her own stuff uh without telling people who are directly involved sure she could be sands in and up. Yeah. Uh, Jessica H says, what if the waif was the one who actually contracted Arya to kill the actress from the play? Who bomb. Uh, the episode prior, Arya told the waif that Cersei was on her list. Could she have been trying to put Arya into a position where she knew she would fail so that she could get permission to kill her? That's an interesting theory because it sidesteps the how in the world would the actress afford the faceless men. Like the waif herself took out a contract but how would she do that like i i mean i don't know if there's a law that says like faceless men cannot promote cannot participate in their own business it it seems like that's pretty self-serving although we know that the waif is pretty self-serving right so far nothing is not lining up with this theory right right now there's very little evidence for this theory um 
but it's almost a theory of the gaps like how did this woman afford to to assassinate her and why was the uh, the waif so interested in probe i mean that was part of her job to determine if ari was no one or not but mm. i mean it's it's very circumstantial but there's nothing that says it's not true and it's also somewhat compelling and that it 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 shows that there's additional wheel of the machination that we didn't suspect before. Right. So we'll see, but I like it. I like it, Jessica. Melody from Oklahoma City said, did it strike you guys as convenient that the hound just happened to be the only person not in the camp when this attack happened? Sure. I'm not even sure where to go with that, but I thought it was odd. What's yeah. your thoughts, Jim? No, it's a, it's a TV thing, you know? But we so, need him to be here so he gets angry and he stays out chopping wood a little but longer. But is it odd that... Out of all, the, you know, the, all the laws. It's lo- fortunate. But what I'm saying is, that, yeah, it's like all the laws of nature have conspired that intelligence has arisen on the face of Earth. Like, you could say right. that that's evidence for a creator, or you could say, well, it's the, anthro- the weak anthropic principle. If the universe was set up in any other way, we wouldn't be around to observe it. Right. So if the story went down, like if Sander was there and he died, or Sander was there and he protected, then the story wouldn't have unfolded the way we did. It did, uh, to me... It's not coincidental because they established that Sandor, he doesn't like to be touched. He's not comfortable with people. He's a tra- He wants to help those people and do his part, but he's not ready to be a part of the congregation. So sure. it makes sense that he would, you know, keep himself busy at the outskirts of camp. And they did a little lampshading of the fact that this was going to happen with him kind of sitting away from everybody else sure. while he's eating. Yep. A lot of people don't like you around here. Yep. I'm used to it. Yep. That sort of thing. So, and, you know, then he... He gets angry and he goes out and chops wood. Kelly T said half this episode is Germ's version of a shark tank, or rather the Stark tank, with only the Glovers turning going, I'm out. I feel like John and Sands are doing fairly well. However, they need to turn over all future pitches to Davos. This is yeah. just an elaborate shark think, tank joke. I think which... they're doing shittily. Really? I don't think they're doing fairly well. I think without Davos, they're up shit creek with nobody. Uh, the only the only Glover said I'm out though. They they they. Tormund saved the day at the with the wildlings. Uh, they were ready to be out still too. Not, you're not refuting the point that only the Glovers are out, Jim. No, I'm. Not, what I'm refuting is the idea that John and Sansa are to to credit for okay. getting any troops. No, no, it's been Tormund and Davos all the way. Well, they picked their advisor as well. Yeah. Aaron in Boston said, I gotta totally disagree with you about the Liana Mormont scene. I thought it was totally awesome. I wonder if your reaction to it not being super believable springs from the fact that I cannot think of any time in the history of TV that I've seen a female child be that cold, hard, and badass. I mean, this is a girl who has a shit ton of responsibilities that hails from a culture of warrior women and has seen her whole family die. If anyone would be that hard, she would. I thought the actress was great also. I also agree that Davos saved the scene, but I think he saved it from John and Sansa. Those two need to get hard if they want anyone to follow them, and they both appeared weak in this episode. And that's really what I took from that scene in the Glover scene. This little girl knows what's up. Catch up, John. Kill the boy. Uh, so I, I wanted to read that just to get the other side, you know? Right, and right. I fully, I've already said it's not about her being a girl. It's about her being a child. And, and also this is a subjective thing, so there is not a universal truth. It's like she didn't either crush or crap the scene. Like, it's it's entirely in the eye of the beholder, and I, I think Aaron did a good job of laying out how you could buy that. So Right. I also would disagree with the idea that they need to suck on concrete and get hard. I think Sansa tried that. Mm, true. It didn't fucking work. Did and Davos came around with a little more nuanced and sure. measured approach, and it worked. Different strokes for different folks. What they need is wisdom, which neither of those people have yet. And even Davos is like, got the he's makings of a good advisor, but he's, you know, he's the onion knight. 
Before that, yeah. he was a smuggler. And before that, right. he was the, a crab fisher's son or whatever the hell he said he was. Yeah. Craig says, for the... How are we going to know what episode it is in so that we can be properly prepared? Obviously, I'm going to need some chicken so I can eat every fucking chicken in the room. Mm-hmm. I need to have a fire extinguisher ready. I'll probably have to have someone call or have to call someone a cunt. Will they give us an episode title like The Mountain versus The Viper? Or will they only give us a preview scene? What if the unthinkable happens and the hype fails us? Oh, Jesus. Oh, That's no. a, Yeah, you can't. Shut your mouth. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the contra of what is hype may never die is what is dead can never, never hype. hype. Yeah. Oh, like, man. which side of the coin are we going to get, Jim? I, so you got to call, you got to say, fuck the king. You got to get, you, that's another part of your, your preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just checked so far, the last two episode titles are TBD. Oh. So um, if it is the click, it would be, what would happen to the internet if episode nine comes out and it's just Clegane Bowl? <laughs> That'd be pretty badass. Or if it's just get hype at all capital six exclamation marks. I think they're too dedicated to their fiction to do that, but I think that would be amazing. Or if it's just in brackets, Vuzula horn. (laughs) (laughs) I would be, I I, I don't know, man, because I I, I don't know how they're going to telegraph it because they got to be careful because, you know, obviously this is one of the most popular theories of all time and all the information is out there. Uh, it, it's funny because someone, and this is this is why I don't read this kind of stuff. It's too on the nose. Um, but someone on Thursday sent me a message, essentially outlining what if Sandor's not dead because we didn't see him die, and what if he's the champion? Mm-hmm. Because if you're considering champions of the faith, it's very poetic. Yeah, and that's the, that's what's telling is like out of the hundreds of thousands of people listening to this podcast, no one bitched at me for spoiling the Clegane Bowl. So like, when during the instant take? Yeah. So oh well, it's. It's I know. no longer spoiler. I know, it's but I was kind of braced for a, a smattering of I can't believe you spoiled because, and I was prepared to say, well, look, it's it's a theory. We don't know if it's true. These are the right. information that we are basing the theory on, and it's all out in the show now. So yeah, um, but no, so so no one did, that, and that that good. was that was good. Yeah, um, and I think everybody wants it to happen too. I do. Yeah. But Be you're badass. right. There are still a lot. I mean, it, it's very up in the air. Like. Um, for example, we're, we're in the Clegane Bowl part. Uh, Brad C. is going to outline the problems with eating all the chickens in the room. I'm having a hard time. Uh, by the way, like I don't know about where you live, but uh, you know most major uh, grocery stores sell whole roasted chickens for like five or six bucks. Mm-hmm. You get, get a half dozen of those, have a party, eat all the chickens. That, that's what I'm planning on yeah, doing. Yeah, we're eating chicken live on the air. <laughs> Um, Brad C. And also get a couple flagons of uh, ale because I, eating chickens is thirsty work. From here on out, every episode, I'm going to have a chicken at the ready while I'm watching the episode <laughs> just so I can eat it when it happens. Sure, why not? Uh, Brad C. says, I'm having a hard time moving the pieces in my mind to get to the Clegane Bowl. A religious sect that the Hound was with doesn't seem affiliated with the religious sect that the High Sparrow runs in King's Landing. How does the High Sparrow even know they exist? Does he have anything? Does he know anything about the Hound? I didn't see any ravens there. Septon Marabold seems to be completely off the Faith's radar. I think it's more likely that he'll run into Brienne and have a plot line that takes him north and reunites him with his little bird Sansa. He could possibly run into Arya when she eventually gets back to Westeros. The fact that she, Arya, confessed to the Waif that she didn't wish him dead is more of a predictor to their reunion than him going to King's Landing and fighting for the Faith. 
All that being said, the Hound has always been my favorite character, and I'd love to see the Clegane Bowl, no matter how it comes about. So, there is a lot of problems with the Clegane Bowl, and I agree with this analysis. Um, in the book, it's a little bit more makes a little bit more sense because the Septon Maribold seems like he's an established. He's he's living on the quiet islands, and he's with a monastic order, and none of these guys speak, and mm-hmm. like this is like a big colony of the faith. Um, but here in the show, I mean, but that's the thing. In the books, they leave it there. Like Sandor, uh, he's he's alive, but he's here and he's got peace and he's got no hate in his heart and he's become a new man. And that was like halfway through this episode. And then they took it where I presume they're taking it in the books. Hate. Hate. So I think that could be the motivating factor here. I mean, if he just decides, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to once and for all kill my brother. He volunteers. Like, I'm going to... first, but first, Well, he doesn't he, know that... that the mountain's dead, right? Probably. Like he's been walking around and living it's, a monastic lifestyle, it's half debatable. dead. Like I would think that'd be hot topic of conversation and gossip, but whether it spread that far north, who knows? But he was purposely trying to avoid people sure. th- all throughout his journey with Arya. Like he's been off the radar for a long time. Yeah. So I don't know if he even knows that he's dead. Now he is angry, yes. and he wants to go kill. First choice should probably be his brother. Get revenge. Well, I mean, he's got to deal with the Brotherhood first. That's the. Uh, I mean, there's only three episodes left, and he has to confront the Brotherhood. He has to. I guess because so. that's who he I thinks mean, has killed his people. Now, but once, are they his people? Like, I don't know where oh, he, he stands definitely, on them. He definitely feels a, 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 if not a kinship, a responsibility for these people. That's why he wanted to defend them in the first place. There's no, and he's I don't got unfi- know. He might he's also got unfinished business idiots. with the Brotherhood too. Like, you know, he, the last time, well, I mean, he he fought a fight to the death with um, the the Beric Dondarrion. This is how him and Arya got out of there. Like, they tried him by combat. He beat Beric, barely. Beric got brought back to life. And so, like, I feel like he thinks they're a bunch of cunts anyway. Uh, Okay. And now he thinks they've killed these people for no damn good reason. Because I I think Sandor thinks these were all good people. Like, he might not see himself as that, but... Yeah, and, I, and the show took great pains to paint these as like, oh yeah, super good, unassuming, unassuming, wholesome folk. Right. I just don't know. Like, I didn't get a real strong connection between him and them. Like, I I thought he was looking at them. You know, maybe Deadwood guy was like starting to crack his exterior. You but really don't think he felt like no, he had I, an obligation to protect those people? I I felt like he was he was having that conversation about like you got to fight to protect certain things. Yeah. It trying to talk some sense into that guy, but I don't feel like he personally needed hmm. to fight for them. I, I just never got that. I strongly disagree with that. Okay. But, um, so anyway, I, I, how they... I mean, we'll have to wait for those to see the last three episodes, but I thought you did a good job of showing the problems with the Clegane Bowl theory there, Brad. Yeah. Uh, he also has a point. Would it be too much of a reach for Gendry being in Bravos and being the one who helps Arya and her stabbed-up gut? I think it's more than likely that... Uh, uh, Serial Pharrell coming back from season one, Obscurity to Save the Day. Although if I was in Vegas and betting money, I'd say that what really happens is Lady Crane finds her on the verge of death and repays the favor by saving her life. Assuming that Arya gets stabbed in the gut, which is a big assumption, what do you think about Gendry? Comes comes rowing in to town. I mean, he's just as out of nowhere as Serio sure. is at this point. Like, pr- I mean, not quite, but just about. Right, because we know that he's... Well, we assume he's probably not dead. He wasn't in mortal peril the last time we saw him. Sure. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm still operating under the idea that that is not actually Arya. 
Okay. So Arya cannot be saved by anybody because she's not in that kind of danger. What do you think about Lady Crane? What about her? Like her, coming the, to nurse the, the fake the, Arya to health? Or the real Arya, if you want to go. I I'm mean, not You're not, not even going, going to there. entertain those type of theories? I don't think it's the real Arya. Okay, I don't either. But okay. Lady, Lady Crane's involvement wouldn't surprise me because they gave her a lot of screen time for... I mean, it could just be this. that's an important decision that Arya had to make. But, uh, right. You know, anytime I see someone that talented with that much screen time, I think maybe there's not there's more to their story. Hmm. What about the parallel of like someone from the the seven god religion, seven pointed star religion coming in and helping her like like uh, Sandor had? Hmm. It's not really a Bravos thing. Yeah. Uh, but, but hey, I do, man, <laughs> either is Sirio or Gendry. So. Well, Bravos is it's is very much a bra- or I mean, uh, uh, Sirio very much is a Bravos thing. He was the first sort of Bravos for Christ's sake. Yeah, but he's nowhere near the last time we see him. Okay, uh, I do think that there is a connection between Arya and the Hound, and they visually made it so there's more to their story in a together kind of thing. But but we'll have to see where it goes. Right. Graham H. says, so far this season has brought back three characters from the quote-unquote dead, John, Benjen, and the Hound. As cool as it is to see them all again, do you think the Double Ds are being a little too generous with these resurrections? Maybe we're in for some major Red Wedding-level shit to go down. Um, That is a concern. Anytime you bring people back from the dead and play fast and loose with who's dead and who's alive, you run the risk of fatigue. And I wouldn't say it's the Double Ds doing this. I would say it's George Martin doing this. Mm -hmm. Because... Every one of these, well, except for Benjen, is straight out of the book, um, or what we think is going to happen in the book. So, I, I, it's definitely a concern. I, they haven't reached that point to meet for me. I wonder how many more resurrections we'd go through before I would get there. I feel like we're almost at the limit. Yeah, my tilt sensor is about to go off. Definitely stretching it for me, especially when you mix in. So much magic. I mean, faceless men sure. and time travel and like actual straight up blood magic. Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of shenanigans that could go on completely just hand waved away by magic. And that's the two sides of the story. Number one, they're playing it fair because these are all tools in this universe. Right. But on the other hand, that's not the show we started watching. So right. if you, yes, that's why we're all going along with it. But there is a certain point where people are like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, why not bring Ned back now? Yeah. Someone found a bone right. fragment and poured and, and pricked her finger. And, and he's got a line of stitches around his neck. But yeah. he's pretty much the same old Ned. Yeah. Like, he warged into Demiria, sure. who was in the forest. Like, sure. Why yeah. not? Shit, man. Get on Reddit with that. You can right. get, probably get a couple hundred upvotes. Right. Uh, <laughs> and you notice when I talk about these things, I do a little bit of eye rolling uh-huh. when it comes to the magic. Because, because like this you isn't said, your scene, man. Fantasy's not your It's b- not Bollywood. my scene. And I, I guess, you know, I had always heard that Game of Thrones was fantasy for people who don't like fantasy. Yeah. And I got involved in the show from that perspective, thinking, okay, this is super interesting from the political angles, from the character right. motivations, from the military angles. I really love all that stuff. When you and start mixing is. in so... And, and those are the things that I get excited about. Sure. Jamie marching his guys up to sure. this fucking castle yeah. to strong-arm the Blackfish, to kill him. Those are the things that I love about it. And when you mix in so much magic, I it does diminish my enjoyment of certain aspects. Uh, and here's... But that's just me. Other people love that shit. So... Yes. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I, it's not for me. Yeah. Um... Andy B says, uh, this is the this is the downside to everyone coming back from the dead because you get people speculating like this. 
We didn't get to see the Hound expire on screen, and here he is hobbling around the Shire. Mm-hmm. Who else have we not seen meet their bloody end on screen? Serio. Stannis. Stanny B <laughs> is coming back. Further, both Sandor Come on, and Stannis... Come on, said she killed him. Further, both Sandor and Stannis' final fight was against Brienne of Tarth, who also said the Hound was dead, didn't she? In I... her attempt to fulfill her oath. Fighting Brienne and not dying gives you a second chance to finally do the right thing. Okay, there's a difference. If Brienne tells you... Look, I think the guy's dead because he fell off a cliff. Right. Versus... Versus, I beheaded this motherfucker with my sword and my two hands. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Uh, and and I got a... a Andy, I was right on with you last season because I was like, well, we didn't see him die and Brienne maybe could do something interesting with her. But when she shows up saying, I killed Stannis, uh, uh. I mean, here, I'll, I'll throw him a bone. In the end, he's right. Like, you know. You don't know. We just don't know. Brienne could be, like, lying about that, I guess. Uh, I don't know why she would, though. All right. Let's move on, then, to where I have lost my point. Uh, Doug L. Giving us odds on Arya. Uh, First possibility, she dies. I give it 50 to 1. This is Game of Thrones and Valor Morghulis. But if she's going to die, her death will likely further the plot in some larger, meaningful way. Dying alone in the streets of Bravos is quite the literal dead end, unless the faceless men have done have some designs on using her face for something important. I agree. Long odds on Ari being dead. Yeah. Sarah Farrell saves her. 30 to 1. What do we say to the god of death? Not today. Hearing those words come to fruition would be badass, and Sirio is a bravosi, but the show would have to bend over backwards to explain where he's been and how he knew where she was, and that's a tall order. He yeah. was jacking the whole time. He's always been jacking. Right. End of story. <laughs> uh, she saves herself. 10 to 1. Ari has failed a lot along the way, especially this week, but we do have her, uh, but we have to have her back entirely. Wait. Let me start over. But to have her be entirely rescued by someone else robs her of some agency. We need to see her kick ass again. That said, the giant hole in her belly needs some serious help. And while she may know some combat, it's not clear she knows anything about triage. Plus, these particular wounds in this particular historical setting are almost universally fatal. Like, this isn't a broken bone. This This is like... Your intestines are probably sliced up. You got sepsis starting to set in. Like, I don't see how you get away. I mean, I you're also rolling around in a fucking canal. God knows what kind of flesh-eating right. bacteria is up in there. I would have said the same about Sandor, though. His wounds look to me to be completely fatal in this universe, especially since he's hanging out in the middle of nowhere with no help to be you found. I think he'd at least lose his leg, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, compound fractures, bad news without antibiotics. Right. Uh, Lady Crane saves her, 5 to 1 odds. Good karma pays off after Arya spares her life. This certainly tracks, and it might be interesting to see Arya travel with mummers and learn their tricks. After all, Varys uses them to good effect, as well as potentially perform in a play about Westerosi politics. That'd be interesting, but I wonder if we have that much time to have her do, like, a crowd-pleasing tour turn as some person uh... in a fart and slap. I really want her to be more badass. Like, I feel like her training wouldn't have been useful for that. Yeah. I mean, it, it. she'd be falling short of her potential, I guess. Okay. Five to one, Jacken saves her. Technically, the way failed. Does this mean she gets access to Arya, who manages to survive? Is this all part of a larger test? Jim, where would you put the odds on this isn't Arya? One to ten. 
thought it was going to be one to one. What? <laughs> one to ten. That means... Ten to one, this is Aria. Okay, I was going to say, that's not how odds work, man. No, but but he was progressively going down. I'm <laughs> okay. going the opposite so direction. So you're saying ten to one. One to ten that this Arya. is... So you think yeah. you think Jack and saving her... Which I believe Jack can heal any wound he needs to heal. Like, I feel like the Faceless Men could do some kind of weird-ass magic, and she'd be just fine. Uh, so you think it's less likely... I think it's less likely for her to die than this. What is about Lady Crane Arya? saving her? You think it's 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 more li- more likely that happens, and this isn't Arya because he gave that five to one odds. No, I mean I'm operating under the, the whatever whatever odds he gave to to anything. This uh-huh. is more certain in my mind okay. that this is not Arya. Uh, Sarah wrote in with some interesting points from an Entertainment Weekly article from an episode, uh, an interview with Brian Cogman, who was the director for this episode, because we are, uh, talked about jetpacks and timelines, and we kind of wondered about it, but it seemed like he made it explicit. Uh, Entertainment Weekly said, it feels like we're jumping between storylines, that we have va- that vastly different lengths of time passing between each scene. Do you care to comment on this? And Brian said, the timelines between the various storylines don't necessarily line up with a given episode. Yeah. For instance, the northern tour that John and Sansa embark on this episode would probably take a couple of weeks. But Arya's storyline over the past few episodes only spans a few days. We realized long ago that if we tied ourselves in knots trying to make all the story days line up between all episodes, the momentum would suffer. Yeah, this is this is so obvious. Yes. I don't even know why people are asking about this in interviews. This is I think it's the nice. most basic of sure. the basic thing of the the visual style of this show. Yeah, and also it tracks well with the books where the passage of time is not consistent between POV and POV. Right, because you're right. It's like it's it's very impossible to tell one story where there's a lot going on. If you just did in chronological order, it might be months before you see Arya again. Sure. I mean, even if it wasn't impossible, it's just, I think, more interesting. It's to a tell good it editorial way. choice. Yeah. Uh, Sarah continues, one epi- question out of this episode, where is Melisandre? She is riding with Sans and John when they left Castle Black, but no sign of her since. Ah, good Even question. when they returned to the camp where I believe she burned Princess Shireen. Davos was discussing the snows, the shot, John and Sansa, which definitely echo back to Stannis' worst moment, and yet no mention or sight of Mel. Mm-hmm. Seems like a notable omission. I didn't even realize that until I got this email. Like that, that was the same site. No, no, no. Well, I did realize that, but like oh. the fact that Melisandre is absent is yeah. hugely noticeable now that she laid out like that. Right. So, what does that mean? You think there's any possibility she's on like the search for the Brotherhood? I mean, we have no information. I mean, it's like it's not like she's like, "Hey, I want to peace out and do something else while you're doing this." Like, literally, yeah, we don't know. Yeah, they that would make sense words. if she goes back and like, "Hey, I brought someone back from the dead." You want to compare notes, like, and maybe help us out? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that sort of thing. But it would mean I had just, part of me would be pissed that they didn't show. Like, that would have been an easy thing for them to establish as they're riding forth the gates. We're going to do this. Well, my lord, I'm going to do that because she pledged to been. John and says she's going to follow him, and now she's gone. I would almost say like she she's just sort of faded into the background and they it don't need be. her in the moment but yeah. they made a point of like her commenting a couple episodes it doesn't feel like something she would just slink back i mean we talked about that like it feels like she'd be ascendant after she brings back john and she seems to be backgrounded so and she's adjusted her prophecy and mm-hmm. we know that she's following the new mm-hmm. prince who she thinks is john why would she leave unless she's out there going to get troops maybe uh KDM says, I've never written in before, but Lady Olena is the real people's champion for saying everything that everyone has thought about Cersei for years. Yep. She is a bad bitch. 
Yep. Side note, apparently by the inverse property, the further Jamie gets away from Cersei, the hotter he gets. Okay. Cannot disagree with that. Yeah, that armor is doing him some favors. Heck Tate wrote in and says, could Brienne's arrival at the Siege of Riverrun propose a three-way bargain that goes something like this? One, Jamie and Braun and the Blackfish take the 8,000 Lannister forces north to Winterfell to free the castle and save half of the Stark children, John, Sansa, and Rickon. Two, the Tully, the Tully army remains inside Riverrun to keep the Freys out, but the Blackfish returns from a freed Winterfell uh, and agrees to admit Edmure as the Lord of Riverrun, which fucks Walter Frey out of Riverrun. But uh, in return, Edmure swears fealty to King Tommen. There's no way for the Blackfish to come to the aid of the Starkkin without ending or suspending the siege, and there's no way Jamie will end the siege without some manner of saving face for Tommen. Um, there's a good argument to be made for the Tullys, who are better allies than the Freys for the Lannisters, since the Freys are generally only relevant to the northern strategy anyway, whereas Jamie's main concern is still King's Landing and not Dorne. Sure, he'd be disobeying orders, but does he care at this point? Um, you lost me in there. That thing pretzled in on itself in a way that I didn't My thing is, on. like, so there's there's two ways to look at this. Number one, this is a bad deal for both parties. This is giving up a lot of... This is the... You know, the enemies of the Lannisters swearing fealty. And it's also the Lannisters rearming and re-strengthening their mortal foe, the Starks. On the other hand, you could say, well, that's a hell of a compromise. If both parties think they're getting completely fucked by it, then it might be a good compromise. But I don't, okay. I don't know, man. It doesn't seem like either one would agree to this. But it's an interesting thought. Like... You know, if you just 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 from a wheeling and dealing aspect, it seems like the chits are equal across the table. But I just don't think any of them would consent to any of this stuff. Um, anything you want to comment on? Nope. Or, nope. All right. <laughs> Matt C says, "Is every lord a knight? But not every knight is a lord." He's trying to figure out Westerosi politics. Um, my, you have to have a keep to be a lord. Yeah, my keep is to be a lord you have to be a, a, have lands and or titles. Right. Um now a knight is a title, it's the very lowest level title, but mm-hmm. you can be a knight and not have a keep. They call those hedge knights. Right. They, they cuz they sleep underneath hedges. <laughs> um and also as historical oddity, very few northern men are knights because to be a knight you have to be anointed by the faith of the seven. So it's a re- it's kind of a religious title as well as a military one. Really? Yeah. So huh. like you know it's kind of like knighting someone in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They do that with the seven. So a lot of Northerners just don't give a shit about being knights. Um, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, I think you got the right. It, it's I don't know that every lord because a lot of Northern lords wouldn't be knights, but probably most of them at some point were knighted. Um, but you're right, not every knight's a lord. Um, I, that's that's as plain as I can make it. Uh, let's move on to Kevin B. He said, you touched on this in Instant Cast, and I agree that I can't believe that the Brotherhood of that Banners would slaughter the Septon and all those innocent people who are doing the barn raisin with the hound. I think they're building a Sept, if I was to guess, but barn, sure, whatever. I predict They were very sort of Amish in their yeah. demeanor and yep. their methods. Yeah. Yep. I was wanting to count how many sides that thing's had, but if it, if it had seven, it's surely uh. a Sept. 
Uh, I predict that it will be revealed that the act was designed to bring the Hound out of his peaceful exile to be the Faith's champion in the Clegane Bowl by none other than the High Septon himself. To kill all those people for refusing to pay protection money is more Tony Soprano than Beric Dondarrion. The Brotherhood's stated purpose, at least in the books, is to protect the small folk, and these were some of the smallest folk we've seen. Mm-hmm. I think the Hound is being manipulated in returning to a life of violence. It makes narrative sense for the High Sparrow to be the one pulling the strings. He needs a champion in Cersei's trial by combat that would show him to be the real hypocrite we all know and want him to be. The only problem with the theory is how to explain the High Sparrow knowing the Hound is there, but I assume he's got spies like everyone else with power in King's Landing. That's that's the rub with this whole thing. How do you how does the High Septon know about the Hound to take notice of him? Right, and maybe there's a little bias in my desire to see a Clegane Bowl, but sure, I, I feel like it's it's a little it just feels right that the High Septon is behind this. It's a little out of character, I think, for him to go killing people who presumably haven't done anything in order to accomplish that mission. That seems like a sin to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why he, how he could authorize that in good conscience. Then again, I think he's a sack of shit who's full of a lot of, a lot of <laughs> dog shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a sack of dog shit. A sack Even of worse. dog shit that's well, about to be stepped on, I There hope. you go. That's, that involves the hound, Clegane confirmed. Set on fire Clegane. and stepped on. I have a hard time saying Clegane Bowl. Mm-hmm. He gets all nasally. In the clip I use, you actually transpose the E and the L. God! Which I love. <laughs> I gotta say Kelgane? No, I think it's like, maybe it's the G and the L. It's Kaglane or something like that. Oh, well. I love it. Again, I was sick when we recorded that clip. That's true. Gretel B. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Well, before I get to that, uh, Dan from Washington. A lot of people have sent this in over weeks. So I finally decided to t- tackle it. In the season two finale, when Arya, Gendry, and Hot Pie come across Jack and he helps him escape, Jack and tells Arya to come with her to become a t- come with him to become a faceless man and says the following: A girl has many names on her lips: Joffrey, Cersei, Tywin Lannister, Illyn Payne, the Hound. Names to offer up to the Red God. She could offer them all one by one. Doesn't it seem like everything Jacken has said and done since Arya arrived in Braavos has been a complete contradiction of his initial sales pitch mm. of the Faceless Men lifetime membership? My response is he would not be the first quasi-military recruiter to promise someone, right? Join the see the world, get your college scholarships paid for. Duh, duh. Like you promise a lot until you get them on the boats or you get them in basic and then they realize they've given up all their rights as people and then they got to do whatever you tell them to do. Yeah. So recruiters, that's that's kind of historical fact that they, they uh, don't exactly, they sell you the glories of war uh, and they don't talk about the peeling the potatoes and the dying in cold pools of mud. So yeah, it could be that he's just lying to her. Yeah. The other theory is that somehow Arya is special with a capital S that like they've got their own version of the princess that was promised or whatever, and that Jacken's got that that he's got something in mind for her to do grander than just being merely a faceless man. Could be, but who knows? Gretel B. Uh, we're going to end with some hype slaying here. Clegane Bowl has been floated around for years, and it's picking up steam with both characters back on screen. However, everything on screen suggests the Clegane Bowl is dead. The Hound is borderline crippled with his leg injury. He's still big and strong, but nowhere near the fighter he was. The Mountain is undead, and Kyburn suggests he's stronger than ever. 
follow that to its natural conclusion. The show has made the Hound's injury more explicit than the books, and in the process has nearly killed any excitement over a potential trial by combat. Let me stop you. It's a huge stretch to get the Hound back into King's Landing, and it's nonsensical to think he stands a chance against his brother. Get hyped. Get real. Uh, here, oh. let's get real for a second. Uh-huh. Why do you... That, that email is assuming uh-huh. that the Hound is going to beat the Mountain. Ah. Clegane Bowl can happen, and the Hound can get fucking killed. True. That would like that would be very unsatisfying. Oh yeah, but come on. If so that's the, the red game wedding. Bowl I'm so getting, what's... I'd rather not. It's like if I if if, if someone told you your team's going to be in the Super Bowl, uh-huh. but then but they, they were say but they're going to get destroyed like uh-huh. Patriots versus Bears style, mm-hmm. you might say, "Well, fuck it, I'd rather honk out in the first round." Right? Like, yeah, the trip to the Big Bowl only is awesome. Like, I almost would rather not have the Clegane Bowl if Sandor dies. In it. There's a history of this. Oberon was badass. Sure, we wanted him to sure. beat the mountain. He got his head crushed in. Sure. Come on, there's nothing that says he's got to win. It can still happen. Yeah, they're true. That's that is very some, some true. other fine points in there about you know the the, the road seems pretty. I think people distant. are overplaying his physical injury. I feel like that he he did lift an entire fucking tree trunk by himself. He did. He and walked it a good. Uh, you know when when the mountain and the and hound went at each other in the prime during the tournament of the hand in the first season, I felt like the hound might have gotten the better out of the mountain because the mountain was in, was insanely angry and was not in his right head, and like I don't feel like being a zombie has improved any of those aspects of. Gregor. And it might have improved his strength, but what about his mobility? Because that's what you're really arguing with the Hound, too. And, and what about his wits? Like, you know, right. it's, 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 uh, clearly the Mountain was stronger than Oberon, but Oberon mm-hmm. uh, was a smarter fighter, and he used his uh, abilities better. He used his reach and his yeah. poison tip spear and all those things. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I, I feel bad, a little bad, you know, shooting it down without her here to argue her point. Uh about well, mobility Gretel did not feel or... any bad at all for slaying hype. So that's true. Man, so... woman, child, I don't care. Like you're a hype slayer. Yeah, I, I dub the hype slayer. <laughs> Banding words with a hype slayer is like building a podcast on quicksand. Yeah, and with that we sink into the muck because that's the last uh, piece of feedback. Yeah. Uh, bald or Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. If you want to get in feedback, we still got the Friday show, and we'll probably have a little bit bigger of a mailbag to catch up any points we didn't miss. Or we did miss on this week, uh, this to start off next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, again, Friday for the spoiler edition. We'll be back Sunday for the next episode, which I'm sure is going to be rad. Can't wait. I can't. Like, these next Judging three episodes. Judging by the preview. Oh, my God. These next three episodes are going to be a roller coaster. Yeah. This season has been a return to form. I agree. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like last season. Uh, this season, I think. I was nervous for this season, but they have really, really delighted me. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff I was set up to intrinsically, like, to just really dislike yes. with this high septum business and yes. stuff but i think it's played out pretty good indeed uh i'm i'm excited all right uh that's it uh we will see you in a couple days all right see you then bye